Hey guys, on today's episode of the John Campus Show, Andor is going on to Hulu, FX, and ABC. Margot Robbie's Pirates of the Caribbean has been canceled. Disney Plus is increasing their prices and that ad-supported level? Yeah, not such a bargain. Disney Plus turns three years old. What has been good about it? What has not been good about it? Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets turns 20 years old this week. What? Sylvester Stallone's new show, Tulsa King. We're going to be talking about that a little bit. Wakanda Forever has the second biggest opening this year. That and a whole bunch more. The John Cambia Show starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, The John Campion Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, all sorts of good stuff. We got a packed house here today. We got Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett sitting right there. Beside him, of course, is the wonderful Chris Carr. Joining you guys in the live chat is the always awake Ray Aura. <laughs> sitting back there, you see Taylor doing his thing right in front of him. Of course, running the show today, Jonathan Voiko And Alu Moana joins us back in here again. Good to have you back, Alu. And guys, most importantly, you are here today. Thank you so much for making this show a part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break it down into two parts. In the first half of the show, we're going to talk about some predetermined topics. Then the second half of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. You do that by, number one, make sure you're watching live. Number two, when we get to the end of the main topics, we'll announce that we're opening up the Super Chats. And we'll only leave it open for just a couple of minutes. But that'll be your chance to throw in your thoughts, theories, opinions, and questions. And we will address those at the end of the show. All right, guys, listen, we got a whole ass ton of stuff that we got to cover here today. So let's jump ass in. All right. <laughs> Off the top, number one is this. What? Off the top, number one, it's Monday, is this. Okay. So Disney Plus. We're going to be talking about Disney Plus a whole lot today. We're going to be talking about that. It's celebrating its third anniversary. So we're going to be talking about that in just a little bit. But to celebrate the third anniversary of Disney Plus, Bob Chapek and his band of merry men have decided to commemorate and celebrate the third anniversary of Disney Plus, which we will talk about more later. Let's increase the prices. Yay! Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. Before we get into the details of this, Disney Plus announced a little while ago that they were going to be introducing, like Netflix and like Hulu and others, an ad-supported tier of Disney Plus, where for a cheaper price... You can get Disney Plus just with some commercials, right? And you pay less. That sounds good. Except they built it on a house of lies because it is not going to be cheaper. They're actually introducing the ad-supported plan at the exact same price that you currently pay for Disney Price. For Disney Price. Might as well call it that. Disney Plus. <laughs> except that they're going to raise the prices of the regular Disney Plus, which they are now calling Disney Plus Premium. So they put this up on their website here that the Disney price, the Disney price, Disney Plus pr pricing is now this. Disney Plus is introducing a new subscription plans and pricing. They will take effect on December 8th, so just in a few weeks, for new subscribers and on your, your first billing date on or after December 8th, 2022 for current subscribers. Uh, if you are a current subscriber, you have the option, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, the new monthly subscriptions streams thousands, Pixar movies, blah, 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 National Geographic, 799, but that's going up to $10.99 a month. $10.99 a month. And the ad-supported plan is going to be $7.99 a month, which is the current plan. 
So they launched Disney Plus at $6.99. They raised the price to $7.99. And now to celebrate the third anniversary, they're raising it to $10.99 mm-hmm. and quote unquote saving you money by introducing, now you can watch commercials for the exact same price that you're pay, playing, paying Thanks, before. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> you're the best. All right. Look, I've said this for a while. The value prop, you can take that screen down, Jonathan. The value proposition that Disney Plus offers is a very good one. I, I've made this argument before. I get it. None of us as consumers like it when prices go up. But when you look, and again, we're going to go more into detail of it a little bit later, but when you look at the sheer volume of content that you get on Disney Plus, and you look, they've really picked up the pace for releasing what I call their premium content, their Star Wars stuff, their MCU stuff. Even at $10.99, that's not, that's a, it's a pretty good deal. When thinking, I can go on there anytime I watch and watch any MCU movie I want, watch just about any Star Wars thing that I want, watch their entire catalog of Pixar and Disney animation and a lot of other stuff. If you're into the Nat Geo stuff, whatever, all that kind of stuff, that's great. But I've always told people that whenever one of these companies comes out and says, we're going to do this compromised version of our service, but you'll pay less. I always tell you guys, don't believe it. They're not going to charge you less. What they're going to use it is as a pretext to increase what you're paying now and then call what they're giving you a deal. I hate that. I hate that. Now, again, when they launched Disney Plus, we all knew you can't do Disney Plus for $6.99. Even at $7.99, they're not going to be able to sustain that. Hence, they've lost billions and billions and billions of dollars. But there's something about perception and there's something about timing. How about launching at $10.99. Like if you want to make it, if you want to increase your price, no, great, make it your price. But say, start your ad-supported tier at $5.99, $4.99. Make it actually looks like it, like you're getting a deal. But instead of saying, I'm going to punch you in the face unless you give me $5. And then you give me $5 and I say, well, no, I'm still going to punch you in the face unless you give me 10 But for $5, I won't also knee you in the balls. It's not actually a good deal, Right. Pray I don't alter it further. <laughs> I see Chris trying to work out the math, doing the math. Right now. It's not actually a good deal. I do not like the fact that they're doing this at the same time. I think this is a misstep, one in the long line of Disney idiocy lately with Bob Paycheck going over there. And some. Of, this is just a bad perception of wait one year. Launch the ad-supported one at, a ch- action, at an actual cheaper rate for like one year and then come back to it later. But at any rate, Rob, you hear about the price increases. First of all, Let's talk about what do you think about Disney Plus Premium, as they're now calling it, for $10.99? And then what do you think about you know the ad-supported tier and the pricing there? Well, like you, look, I love Disney Plus. I think it's a great service. I love the fact that they added IMAX enhanced, the, the Disney Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that are IMAX enhanced, meaning the different aspect ratios, that they added that only to Disney Plus, which chaps my ass because I, I don't get it on physical media. But I like that they did it. And I like the interface. I think it's a really great streaming service. No no question. I agree. It's fantastic. It's really good. Fantastic streaming service. And I like the fact that basically it's a one-stop shop to get Disney content. I mean, we were watching That Darn Cat in this office just the other day. And I'd never seen That Darn Cat, John. And that was the first thing I watched on Disney+. Plus, <laughs> and it was delightful. You know, Dean Jones, Haley Mills. It was actually a good movie. But what I... What I see this as is it is an immediate response to the fact that they lost $4 billion with Disney Plus last year. 
or this 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 current year or the fiscal year of 2022 and it seems like it's a desperate attempt everyone is desperately floundering in this time of inflation to to appease their stock prices or whatever the people that invest in their company and i don't think that's a way to run a company you know to to make these reactionary things to I mean, I get it. You need to make more money. But why is it that everyone just goes to the consumers and gouges them immediately? Eventually, we're all going to run out of money and you're going to all lose. And it's just it. it and I get it. Why it goes from seven ninety nine to ten ninety nine. Yeah, that's a huge percentage increase. But what do you think about the Disney Plus? Sir? Like, take the history of the pricing out for a second. right, right, right. If you take Disney Plus right now and you see what it is in its totality and you say the price tag of this is ten ninety nine a month, how do you feel about that price range for that Look, service? I'll, it's it's worth it. <laughs> I mean, on the other hand, John, it's worth it. I ten ninety nine. That's that's not even a double Jameson at a bar. So I, I'm and, and that's only one. I mean, yeah. and <laughs> I can get to three and four. But 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 that's the thing. As as a as an entertainment service, even if you watch one movie with a friend. You've paid for it. It's paid for itself. And I, the amount of times that I've gone back and watched the first 25 minutes of Infinity War alone makes it worth my $10, $10.99. So I, I can't complain. And getting shows like Andor and and the, the more Star Wars content, we're getting Mandalorian season three. I mean, it's worth it. What do you think about the $7.99, which is the current price of it, regular Disney Plus, but $7.99 for the version with commercial well it defeats i think it defeats the purpose in the sense that look there are people there are families with young kids that obviously disney plus is going to be the first streaming service they're probably going to go to you know because they want that content don't you want to make it you want to make more subscribers that's your goal you want more subscribers so why not make it young new families with young kids it's hard enough getting by wouldn't you want to make that ad tier more appealing, like five ninety nine, rather than seven ninety nine? I mean, I, I don't understand. They want to make more money. They want to get their subscription base up. It just sounds, doesn't seem like the right move. Chris, I mean, w- wouldn't there be some logic here to going, hey, we're going to make the ad tier four ninety nine, three ninety nine, yeah. whatever, knowing that a lot of people who sign up for that thing is going, you know what? I'll kick in the extra, like four or five months down the road. You know what? I'll kick, because that's what happened with me with Hulu. I just had the, the ad supporter one. I went, you know what? I think I want to get rid of these commercials. I mean, it, it seems like it would be a good strategy to use that ad supported tier as a good entry point. But what do you, th- there's a lot to take in here. The ad supported price is $7.99. The price for Disney plus premium mm-hmm. now at ten ninety nine. I know what's your takeaway from this? I mean, they can do it. They can do what they want to do because they're Disney and I'm not going to cancel this service by any means. I love being able to watch all these things. That being said, though, I'm literally on the site right now being like, what the hell am I going to sign up for? God damn it. Because I, I don't want to be punished. I, was, I, I want to be rewarded for suffering through a commercial. That's why I was like, oh, I'm not going to pay for the, the ad free tiers because I can pay less money. And I'm fine. Is that their strategy, though, to say, like, well, we offered you a cheaper tier when knowing that it's not It an, feels like it. Difference? It feels like Bob's just like, here, take it, little girl. This is what you'll get, and you'll be happy about it. And I don't like it. I want to pay a cheaper price if I'm getting all these commercials and everything. I don't want to pay the same for a worse service. That seems like a really, that's a dumb business move. <laughs> hey, remember what you had? We're going to make it worse, and we're not going to make it less expensive. <laughs> You're welcome. Ray, I, I am curious. How do you feel 
Um, how do you feel? John? Yeah, like how do you feel about the fact that I'm going to have to pay more for you watching Disney Plus? <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it's tearing terrible. you up inside. I'll, I'll, I'll delete my cue list. Or <laughs> maybe that will keep in your monthly payment. <laughs> I wear it, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Uh, to be to be fair and to be honest, like when I look at what you get for, at Disney Plus for ten ninety nine a month, which is still significantly cheaper than Netflix, it's actually not a bad deal. But you're moving from seventy ninety nine to that, and you're just going to charge everybody what you have been charging with the commercials. I don't know. It seems like a dumb move to me. Anyway, question is for you guys: How do you feel about it? Jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down. Let's go into another off the top here, shall we? And that one is this. You know, on the high seas of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, uh, we had the main Pirates of the Caribbean. Then we heard about not one, but two different spinoffs or alternate versions of Pirates of the Caribbean. One had the girl who plays Nebula. I keep forgetting her name, and she's in Jumanji. Uh, uh, Karen Gillian? Gillian. Okay, thank Gillian. you. Yeah. So one that was going to feature her, and then one that was going to feature Margot Robbie. Now, we haven't heard a lot on any of the news fronts about that, so it's, some of us have started to wonder what's going on with the Margot Robbie thing. Well, wonder no more, because according to reports and according to Margot Robbie herself, that project, well, it's dead. It's not happening anymore. This comes from the folks at CBR who wrote, Disney has decided not to move forward with the Margot Robbie's Pirates of the Caribbean reboot. In an interview with Vanity Fair, Robbie updated the status for replacing Johnny Depp in a Pirates of the Caribbean spinoff. We had an idea that we were developing it for a while, ages ago, uh, to have more of a female lead, but not totally female-led, but just a different kind of story, which we thought would have been really cool, but I guess they don't want to do it now, she said. The Birds of Prey writer Christina Hodson was also attached to the canceled film. So this was going to be a reboot of the franchise. Now, one of the interesting things here is that I looked around a little bit, and they have not necessarily canceled the reboot. They, they're still looking at maybe doing a reboot, but the iteration they were looking at doing the reboot with with Margot Robbie is off. I have mixed feelings about this because I, listen, Margot Robbie, it's already proven she's an Academy-level actress. I mean, if you have not seen, if you want to know how good she is, watch I, Tonya. Oof. Oh my God, she's so good. Mm -hmm. at yeah. It's crazy how she's not just like one of the most beautiful actresses in the world. She is like world-class elite talent. She's incredible. And I thought something like this, I actually thought she would be a pretty good fit for. That being said, I'm not so sure how I feel about a Pirates of the Caribbean reboot right now, like maybe in five more years, 10 more years, whatever. So a little surprised to hear about this, but it's been radio silent for so long that is it really that surprising? Anyway, Chris, apparently the Margot Robbie Pirates reboot is no yeah. longer on. What do you think about that? Do you think they should still do a reboot? I don't know. Where do you think this is at? I mean, it's a great franchise, so I definitely think Disney's going to keep mining at it, whether they should or not is, you know, a matter of how good the script is, right? That's what it all comes down to. I really enjoy this franchise. Um, when I need to energize myself, I listen to the soundtrack of this. So good. Because that'll make you run. It's really, really good. Um, I love Margot Robbie, and I really, really think she has an incredible body of work. She hasn't had too many great films lately, though, right? We just saw how um, Amsterdam yep, not so really, good. really tanked. I'm really hoping for Babylon to be a big, good thing for her. <laughs> but, you know, I, 
And I, I wasn't big on their their Birds of Prey movie, to be honest. Well, I know a which lot of I other did people like. liked it. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people, it didn't work for me, but really. But hearing that that's who was tied to this, too, because I, I will admit, more people tend to, you know, not be crazy about the Birds of Prey films. You know, I'm, I'm in the minority on that one. So with her and that at, uh, writing team, you know, maybe that's what they were kind of like, oh, this isn't the, the magic formula we need. But maybe they'll get there. Rob, what do you think? Should they continue with the reboot without Margot Robbie? Are you surprised that this one had his plug pulled? No, like Chris, though, I like this franchise. I mean, I love, I think the third movie has a lot of great fantasy set pieces in it. I, I liked it a lot more than most people. And I think the first movie, although it may be a little long, is a classic. But I think if you're going to do a spinoff, you've got to introduce that character in main body well, they're talking of the reboot. this is gonna be a reboot mm -hmm. this one this one that they were talking about with margot robin was gonna be a reboot. but it's yeah I, I that i don't agree with i mean i i think that it it rebooting that franchise i mean i understand i it's so interesting to me to see pirates of the caribbean is johnny depp i mean captain jack sparrow is that franchise the way indiana jones is indiana jones i mean i guess you could reboot it but would it be the same thing well the, I mean, there's a difference though and I think the difference is this, is that notwithstanding Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the Indiana Jones trilogy are all considered beloved classics. I, yep. I surprisingly love, because I didn't think, like when I, you're making a movie based on a theme park ride, are you I, idiots? I know. And I love the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Loved it. Loved it. I haven't loved a single one since. There, there, there have been some that have been less offensive than others. But this thing, like, here's the thing, too, about this franchise. Like, when you go to the first one, while he was this enigmatic prince, cl clown prince, right? And when you look at the first Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Jack Sparrow was feared. And he was known as a great pirate. Yeah. And he was respected and feared, even though he had this eccentric personality, right? As you progressed through the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, he became Jar Jar Binks. He was just an idiot. Like by the time you got to the last one, he was just a pure, unadulterated moron who just fell ass backwards lucky into anything he happened to succeed in. I, quite frankly, by the time the last one was done, I'm like, yeah, I'm, 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 oh, I'm done with this franchise. Like they That's, just went too far with that. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's totally fair. I mean, the, in the first movie, he's playing the fool. He's yes. using that perception as a drunken buffoon to accomplish his goals. So it's he's 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 doing the long con, which made that character even more appealing. And then the thing about two and three, I wasn't such a big fan of two, but three, like introducing all those other characters like uh, uh, Chow Yun Fat, and I, I really liked the fantasy element of where it went. But like you said, I think by the time they, the fourth movie came around, uh, that's a very fair criticism. I think that they neutered his character, and that's bad. But I still think that to reboot the franchise, would you get the female version of Jack Sparrow? I think you have to reimagine it in some way where it's different enough that people aren't going to go, oh, she's just doing Johnny Jep Depp's yeah, shtick that is a risk. woman. Yeah. And, and I, because I think, look, like you said, they're rebooting Haunted Mansion again. And the first time the manager wasn't great. So I could see them doing that. But I don't know. I mean, that's a very lucrative franchise. So maybe they could. Here's make one of the work. unfortunate things about Pirates of the Caribbean. Just like I often talk about uh, There Will Be Blood. And Paul Dano gets way overlooked for how all-time great he was in that movie. Because he was acting alongside of the greatest of all time, Daniel Day-Lewis, who I think turned in the greatest performance of all time, right? 
I also think one of the unfortunate things about Johnny Depp nailing Captain Jack Sparrow so amazingly in that first movie is that nobody talks about Jeffrey Rush's Barbosa, who I think that character is amazing. He was awesome. I love him in that role. Uh, anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you make of all this? Apparently, the Margot Robbie Pirates of the Caribbean reboot is done. That other spinoff with Karen Gillum Karen uh, may mm-hmm. still be on. We're not really sure about that. But anyway, how do you feel about that? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right. If you're going to head on to the high seas, your ass better be comfortable. You know what can help you with that? Our next sponsors at MeUndies. The holidays are officially upon us and it's time to start celebrating. Do your thing and holiday your way with Me Undies because it's the most wonderful time of the year to try Me Undies because they're currently offering a very merry deal. Get 20% off your first purchase with free standard shipping and free returns when you go to meundies.com/campia. Guys, you know I've been wearing Me Undies for a while now because I used to be like everybody else. I would go to the big store, buy the biggest box of the most generic underwear and I thought that was good enough. But ever since I started Me Undies and started wearing the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn in my life. I swear on this Christmas season, I will never go back. So get your holiday shopping finished early and start making time for yourself with the new MeUndies Holiday Collection. Their undies, long underwear, and sleepwear are made out of the softest, most supple fabric you've ever felt and are guaranteed to bring you comfort and joy to all of your loved ones. Shop their classic plaid prints for a traditional, picture-perfect style or get festive with their adventurous limited-edition sweater prints. Available in sizes extra small, all the way through 4XL, MeUndies has what you need to make all of your favorite people smile this holiday season all in one convenient place. So to get 20% off your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com Campia. That's MeUndies.com Campia. And thank you to our friends at MeUndies for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys, with that down, let's get into another off the top, and that is this. You know, speaking of Disney Plus, you'd be forgiven if you forgot that Disney Plus is not the only Disney streaming service or only Disney owned network. They've got Hulu, they got ESPN, they got ABC, they got FX. I love FX, by the way. So, what do you do if you're Disney and you're trying to promote one of your services? Well, leverage your other services to do that. And it looks that's what Disney is doing. As it has just come out, this comes from Deadline, that the first two episodes of Andor, which I think is the best Star Wars TV show ever. I I think it's even top Mandalorian for me at this point. Andor, they're going to show over the Thanksgiving holiday, which I still don't really know when American Thanksgiving is, but I assume it's soon. The first two episodes of Andor are going to be aired on ABC, FX, Freeform, and Hulu. The only network they're not putting it on is ESPN. So I don't know, maybe they should have gone for that too. This is an interesting move, actually, because on one hand, this makes a lot of sense. You've, you're trying to streamline and push a lot of content or a lot of viewers over to Disney+. Plus. You've got these other networks. Why not leverage that and utilize that to try to spread the word about your content, show them a little, give them a little taste of Andor, try to move them over. I like the move. I actually think as much as I was just criticizing Disney and their idiot trust over there for what they were doing with the pricing of Disney Plus, I got to say, I think this is actually a pretty smart move on their part. The one thing that I question, though, is that as absolutely phenomenally brilliant that Andor is, is it fair to say in this room we have consensus that episode one is probably the weakest? 
Mm-hmm. As, yes. Especially episode one on its own. Yes. In isolation. So putting out the first two is better than just dropping the first episode. I actually think it might behoove them in a 12 episode season. Put out the first four. Maybe even put out the first five. You've got nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain by doing it. So I love the move. I think it's a smart strategy. I just question about limiting it to just the first two episodes because the first two episodes don't necessarily get you hooked. If somebody watches the first four episodes, they're hooked. And they that will probably, if they're not already Disney Plus subscribers, would definitely blow the winds that way and put them over there to get that. So I, I like the move. I just think they should go a little bit further with it. Rob, you hear about this. What are the pros of this move? What are the cons? What do you think? Well, I like the move too, but I think you're right. I mean, at least do three because you get the full block. You kind of get a story and to know. What I find really interesting about this show is people thought it ended with episode six. Me. With the eye. Like, and you're not the only one. People are like, because it seemed like that was an ending point of a season. And I'm like, Nah, bro, there's six more episodes. And people are like, what? And and people really did think that. And and I think by putting in that full block, so you get a beginning, a middle, and an end, and to know, what do you mean there's there's nine more episodes? Oh, yeah, nine more episodes. Sign me up. But um, I, I do think that the first two episodes... It, it, it's it's ramping up. I don't I don't I don't think the first two episodes are going to hook people as much as they might think. I agree. Be- I just don't think they're going to get into it as much. They've got to get to the conclusion of a story because the first two episodes seem. How should I put this? It is a slow burn, but there's also not a lot of action in those first two episodes. And episode three has got that great battle, you know, and the falling things and the craziness and. Once you get to there, it's like, okay. And you understand that there's a structure there. And I, I just, it's a good move. I don't think it's going to be, it's its not going to get the results they want. Chris, if I'm not mistaken, I think when they released the first th- a couple of episodes to press, I think they released the first three episodes specifically for that. Actually, episode four is, is even the one that I think really becomes the big hook. But anyway, the pros of this move, Chris, mm-hmm. the cons, do you think this could be effective? How do you see it? I mean, I do think it's smart. I, I echo y'all sentiments here. Um, with, with streaming or with drugs, give them a taste. Their first one's free. <laughs> but it needs to be a really tasty morsel to hook somebody. So I do think they should do a little extra than those first two episodes because they're good. But man, this show gets great. And if you want to be pushed over the edge to getting this bundle, get that subscription, then you need to see a little bit more. Here's my question. What's the drawback for them of instead of making it two episodes, make it four? Like, is there is there something and I'm, I'm asking this honestly, is there something that I'm completely missing and going over my head that I mean, this would be this is why it would hurt us if we release four? It's being released over uh, Thanksgiving, right? Yes. Like, why? I, I, yeah. drop them, just drop them so that people can binge them and get away from their families. <laughs> like. If you really want to be sneaky, you know what you do? You put the first 11 episodes mm-hmm. on Hulu and FX. Exactly. So and you then, want the finale? Got to come, come on over. over to Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That could be sneaky. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this move? Actually, I think it's a pretty smart move to leverage your other networks to drive more attention to Disney+. Plus. I just wonder if you're going to do it, why not do it properly and have more than just the first two episodes? I don't know. Maybe they'll change it. How do you think they should approach it, guys? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. Put that down, Alou. What do we got up next? 
Next up, we got our Mint Mobile Hotline question of the day. If you want to leave your question and have it read on the air, you're going to call, go ahead and call 951-268-4259 and leave a voicemail. Today's Mint Mobile Hotline caller of the day is calling about the best and worst of Phase 4. Hey, what's up, folks on the show? This is Duke Silver calling from Pawnee, Indiana. Just got done playing a saxophone show, and I figured I'd call in and ask you guys. With Black Panther officially being the tail end of Phase 4, what do you guys think were some of the best and the weakest projects in Phase 4? It's kind of one of the more mixed bad phases that we've got in the MCU so far. Just curious to know what you guys think. Let me know. Thank you. All right, Duke Silver apparently calling us from his private plane. Uh, good to have you. Good to have you call in there. All right, so it's yes. Selling those what, albums. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. He got, got off stage and he's like, I got to call the campus. I, I get what's going on. So one of the things that we've kind of overlooked with the big hype surrounding the release of Black Panther Wakanda Forever is that even though phases are an arbitrary make-believe number that don't even really mean anything, it does mark the end of phase four. Phase four is now complete. And I think it raises a really good question. Well, now that we look back on phase four, what do we feel were the best things of phase four? What do we feel were the worst things of phase four? Because one of the things he said, guys, that I completely agree with is the fact that out of all the four phases, phase four has been the most mixed bag, right? You're, you're looking at a general consistency of excellence in phase one, a general consistency of excellence in phase two, a general consistency of excellence in phase three, not so much in phase four, even though there have been some big shiny diamonds. So if we're going to try to call out what we think are our two best and two worst things out of Phase 4, let's take a second here and just recap what has been a part of Marvel Phase 4. Well, we, of course, got Black Widow, which I thought was fine. I, I did not love Black Widow, but, you know, it was fine. It was all right. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which I thought was magnificent. Eternals, which I like more. I, I don't think it's magnificent, but I think it's, I think it's better than most people think it is. Spider-Man No Way Home, smashing all kinds of records. Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness. Thor, Love and Thunder. And of course, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And of course, their series. For the first time ever, part of one of the Marvel phases was TV shows. And they, of course, had WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, <coughs> Hawkeye, and Moon Knight. And did we have Miss Marvel in there? No, they forgot to put Miss Marvel in there. Miss Marvel was also one of them as, as well. And of course, not really a series. It was, oh, there was Miss Marvel and She-Hulk Attorney at Law. And of course, Werewolf by Night mm -hmm. as was not really a series, not really a movie. It just kind of fell in there somewhere. So again, a mixed bag. It's the first time we've ever said that about one of the Marvel phases. Whereas with Mar phases one, two, and three, you'd be hard-pressed to pick out the weak link, right? Like maybe in phase... Is Iron Man 2 considered phase one or phase two? I can't remember, but whatever. Yeah, you got your Iron, Iron Man 2. Iron phase one. All right, so you got your Iron Man 2, sure. You got Thor of the Dark World, sure. But but other than that, you're, you're scrounging around in the cushions of the sofa looking for the bad ones, mm -hmm. right? In the first three phases. Phase four, a little bit easier to find. And not quite as consistently, but... What were the great ones? What were the not so great ones? I'll start this thing off. I think the two best things that have come out of phase four, and I don't mean to break this up into a movie one and a TV one. I, I would, it, it just happens to be one's movie, one TV. I think Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is a top five MCU film. Now I've said that for a long time. Mm -hmm. it, it hasn't been since the first Avengers movie that I walked out of the theater after watching it for the first time shaking. 
Like I, I walked out of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings so pumped and had so much adrenaline flowing from watching it. I was just, I, I was practically shaking coming out of the theater. I, that was such an amazing, fantastic experience. I love the way it expanded the lore of the MCU. I thought it introduced a couple of new dynamite characters into the MCU. Just loved it. So I put that right at the top along with WandaVision. Because WandaVision, we'll talk about WandaVision a little bit later as well when we're talking about um, phase four of the MCU and, and stuff like that. But WandaVision to me set the standard of what a Disney Plus series can be. You know, I mean, they came out of the, 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 uh, out of the block strong with Mandalorian. And, but for the MCU, they came out with which what I still think is their best effort so far which is, of course, um, WandaVision. So Shang-Chi and WandaVision, to me, mark two of the really excellent, excellent, excellent things about Phase 4. What about the not-so-great things? Well, I'll start off with the Disney Plus side, She-Hulk. Um, She-Hulk was a show that I was very excited for, and even when it started, I was like, yeah! I, I love what they're doing with this show. This is going to be great. I love the first episode. But as the episodes went on, you found out that it was a comedy. And you've heard me say this a million times. It just simply wasn't funny. And if you're a comedy, like if you're going to call yourself a horror movie, you cannot, you can do whatever else you want in it. If you're not giving people the creeps, if you're not giving people the scares, if you're not people, if you're not giving people that horror, then as a horror movie, you've completely failed. You've completely failed. Same is true in a comedy. If you are trying to call yourself a comedy and you are not making funny jokes, I mean, there were a few moments, don't get me wrong, there were a few moments in the series that I laughed quite hard. One of the best things I've ever seen in the MCU is Daredevil doing the walk of shame. That is one of the greatest things ever. I'll give credit where credit is due. But it was not a funny show. And on that level, it just completely fell on its face. So I'll say that is one example of things that really did not work for me. It, for me, it was probably the worst. On the movie side, as much as I still walked out entertained, Thor Love and Thunder represented a philosophical error that the MCU made. And philosophical errors are not common in the MCU with Kevin Feige. But they made a basic strategic mistake, which is to go full-blown lean far more into the silly humor. Ragnarok had a brilliant balance of it. The, the heavy action, some incredibly dark stuff happens in Thor Ragnarok, and they would dash in there, piss off Ghost is still one of the greatest lines ever in the MCU. <laughs> or, oh my God, when they he had the, the wooden trident, and he says, what do you do with this? And then Korg, who is of course voiced by Taika Waititi, who did what we do in the shadows, says, kill three vampires? It was great, it was, it was great, right? So they would pepper in that real Taika Waititi silliness. And it was a really great balance that made for one of the most beloved, audience-beloved MCU films. But then they made their strategic decision, their philosophical decision to lean a lot more heavy into that. And that represents one of the biggest record scratch moments. All of a sudden, everything screeched to a halt for a lot of people. Now, I still had enough laughs that I walked out having mildly enjoyed myself, but I think that really represented a big mistake, a misstep on their part. So... For me, as far as the highlights of Phase 4, it's Shang-Chi and it's WandaVision. As far as the ones that represent the real big mistakes, 
it was the abject failure of the comedy in She-Hulk, and it was that philosophical decision to go way far into the sillier humor with Thor, Love and Thunder, instead of balancing it out like they have in other things. So, I don't know, Chris, let's go over to you. Mm -hmm. As we look back now on Phase 4, now that Black Panther Wakanda Forever has come out and we've ended Phase 4, what stands out to you as the strongest examples of Phase 4 and the weakest examples of Phase 4? I mean, my list is very similar to your Shang-Chi, I think, is a brilliant film. I love that movie so much. It is so well done. It introduced a new character in such a great way and someone who is not on a lot of even comic book fans' radars. It's really, really well executed. And they balance the comedy in that really, really well with the familial drama, with the action. It's all there and it works. It's a great, like, this is the formula to use, y'all. Do it like this. WandaVision, brilliant. So, so good. Um, Moon Knight was poised to be one of my favorite things. And then, you know, we watched the ending, Mm. which was a bit of a bummer. I'm hoping since it's coming back that they can kind of fix that and make that something that could be another kind of flagship show for them. Um, Thor Love and Thunder was a bummer for me. I remember watching it and just being like, I mean, this is fine. This is fine. And I know for a lot of people, though, that's one of their favorites. I, the more people I talk to who who like really aren't super into comics or if they just really like Taika Waititi's style and everything, they love that movie. They had a blast with it. So that's one, too, that I can see is very, very divisive for people. Um, it seemed to check a lot of boxes for most movie going audiences, though. Um, and then, you know. There's just been a couple things on the television front that have bummed me out, too. I really wish that they I I want them to do less. I really do. I Mm. feel like give me more quality, not quantity. If I had to slip one more thing in there that I thought was a great example of excellence on the TV side, it would probably have been Miss Marvel. Oh, Miss Marvel was incredible. Which I think only comes second to WandaVision for me. I I love that show. Anyway, Rob, I know a lot of projects on this list that you were crazy excited about. Some things really worked. Some things didn't. What to you are the examples of things that really worked in phase four and maybe the ones that really highlighted for you that didn't work. well i've you know you and i kind of have the same taste we both like shang chi a lot we all like shang chi mm-hmm. i really like wandavision um the other shows have kind of been it it all i was thinking a lot about this this weekend i this guy wrote a review and sent it in to me of empire of the sun mm. steven spielberg's empire yeah. of the sun and it was a really interesting take on that movie that i had never considered before and it got me thinking about the mcu and I'm, I'm reading this, I'm thinking, why is it about phase four I've, I've been unsatisfied with phase four? We've lost our main draws. We've lost our main characters. But the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been, it seems like every movie and TV show is kind of unto itself. It's not going anywhere. Whereas phases one, two, and three were always progressing the overall all narrative. So... Things were even when they were less successful. You felt like okay, th- there's a there's a narrative thrust between projects that is missing from Phase Four. And I was thinking to myself, what if that's not true? What if there is a through line? You well, know, that's what Kevin Feige says. He says remember, it's going to become apparent to us soon. Do you remember when I said that I thought all of these movies were taking place in different different realities? universes? Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that we are watching the variant universes, call it created by Loki, whatever. I think we're watching the reason maybe Wong is coming between different realities. We are seeing the results of the fractured multiverse. And what's going to happen is when did this multiverse actually start fracturing? We're going to find out it fractured in Endgame. That the end of Endgame is not actually our universe. I mean, Thanos dead, whatever, we are seeing something, and I think it's going to become apparent in quantum, quantum mania, 
That's the reason the Celestials, nobody's talking about the Celestials. But they are. Remember, they, they have started yeah, to be they, highlighted. It, in but in, only in Shield, it's like a, a thing, but it, not mentioned in any of So they, 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 they appear in they, Thor, Love, and Thunder. They could, right. But they could be, because they're, they're still in varying universes, they're all there. Sure. But I still have to ask you again. What has been the good things of Faith War for you, and what have been the not so good I think, things of Faith War for you? Well, look, like just to me, it's the same thing you guys already said. You know, it's Shang Chi, WandaVision are probably my favorites. I like No Way Home. That was good. You know, but it was a gimmick. It seems to me everything in Phase Four is gimmicky. Moon Knight was gimmicky. I didn't. I wasn't seeing Thor: Love and Thunder is gimmicky. I mean, even like Wakanda Forever is grounded. That seems like totally different from everything else we've seen in Phase Four. And I have to say that my, I mean, I like Shang-Chi, but other than that, I'd say Eternals and Wakanda Forever are two of the movies I found the most interesting, mm. you know? And and Hawkeye was fine. Uh, Moon Knight was totally disappointing to me. Uh, I liked Falcon and Winter Soldier more than most. It's risen up higher for me because I like Sam Wilson's progress to becoming... Captain His America. story arc was the strongest thing. Yeah, about I thought that it was show, good. Sure. So that's, I mean, that's that's basically what I have to say. But I think all of it, the overall problem with all of Phase Four is it doesn't go anywhere. That we unless see yet. it does. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that it, I think that that's what they're doing. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. Here's my theory, John. Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Natasha, they're all coming back because the people that we saw die are not. The prime, call it the prime universe people. <laughs> They're coming back. And it's all going to make sense. Well, it's I mean, we've dream. talked about this theory of yours a long time ago. I love the theory. I don't think it's what they're doing, but I love the They're theory. all coming back. Alu, let, let me ask you, you. You're looking at the projects in, in phase four. Which one stands out to you as your favorites and maybe the ones that maybe disappoint you the most? Yeah. Um, MCU wise, movie wise, theatrical release wise. I like all of those. Honestly, the only one I haven't seen is Eternals, <laughs> not because I think it's bad or anything like that, but um, it hasn't been on my radar or something that just I have to watch. But yeah, MCU wise, all great. Um, so I'll just talk about like the series. WandaVision is the gold standard for sure. Miss um, Marvel, incredible. I know people were really kind of weird about starting it because they were like, oh, it's like a I heard people say it's like a Disney Channel. Yeah, show. yeah, it starts off that way. Keep watching Miss um, Marvel. Incredible. Um, I wanted to love Loki so much. The first two episodes of Loki, I thought were so incredible. But then when it got into the whole like, I kind of have a crush on my Self. Clone self, like well, alt universe self. It just got everyone would cute. take that opportunity. That. Don't tell me. Don't tell me with a straight yeah. face. Your clone walks up to you and be like, "I get it." Yeah, yeah. Facts, facts. But yeah, like ah, I wanted to love Loki so much. All the like multiverse stuff is so up my alley. But then it just got too like maybe it was because it got too romancy for me. Like I don't really like romance mm. stuff. So when it got into that thing, I was like, okay, stop trying to fuck yourself and go do multiverse <laughs> shit. God damn it. If I had a nickel, some, sometime every, somebody said that to me, I'd, I'd be a rich man. You know, John, too, one of the, I think one of the great things about WandaVision is episode four. We're watching these different, we're going through the eras of sitcoms. When you get to episode four and you're outside of the hex. Yeah. That was mind-blowing. Oh, I loved that And so I, that episode, I was like, oh, my God. And, and that was, that brought me to the. That was definitely one of the heights of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe for me, because the way they they 
it suddenly became clear what was going on and it was really interesting and we it moved forward. I loved it. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Phase four is now complete and in our rear view mirror and we're looking forward to phase five. I think we all agree it was a little, it's the more, most mixed bag of the phases so far. What parts of phase four stood out to you as being those things of excellence? Which things to you maybe stood out as disappointments? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, you know, there are a bunch of other things going on in the world of movies and TV that we don't quite have time to get you all caught up on. So let's get caught up at least a little bit with a little segment we call the movie news feed. After opening with $67 million in its first weekend, Black Adam has just crossed the $350 million mark worldwide. While impressive, this only puts the Dwayne Johnson film at number 17 on the domestic box office charts for DC movies, still behind other DC films like the Lego Batman movie and Superman Returns. It's becoming more doubtful that the film will break even, needing at least another $100 million to become potentially profitable. Next up, the first trailer for the newest Yellowstone prequel, 1923, has launched online. In it, we get our first look at Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren as Jacob and Cara Dutton in the follow-up to the hit, 1883. From Variety, the new series is set to run for two seasons, consisting of eight episodes each. 1923 explores the west of the early 20th century when pandemics, historic drought, prohibition, and the Great Depression all plague the frontier that the Duttons call home. Next up, season four of Stranger Things set several records for Netflix and landed 13 Emmy nominations in total. When asked about what fans can expect from the upcoming fifth and final season, the Duffer Brothers simply said that it would be a culmination of the first four seasons. From Deadline, season five, the way we see it, is kind of a culmination of all the seasons, so it's got a little bit from each, Ross Duffer told a packed house. I think that what we're trying to do is go back to the beginning a little bit, in sort of the tone of season one, but also scale wise, it's more aligned with what season four is. So hopefully it's got a little bit of everything. The first script for season five has already been turned into Netflix with the title Chapter One, The Crawl. No date has been announced for the final season. Next up, with Black Panther Wakanda Forever ruling at the box office, director Ryan Coogler is offering up praise and credit to DC's Aquaman for paving the way for Namor. Coogler said the following, I do think having Aquaman out in the world, in film language, and being successful in the marketplace, I think it was a great bit of indirect guidance for us to lean into the things that made Namor different from Aquaman, Coogler said, just out of respect to the audience because a lot of people saw that movie. A lot of people love that movie. It was our task to, obviously, put our heads down and blinders on and make our movie, but also have a sense of awareness of what the marketplace might want to respond to and might be interested in. I think giving people something different, if you can give somebody something good that's also unique, I think it's always better. We wanted to lean into the things that make those two characters different from each other because they have a lot of other similarities in publishing. And finally, everyone remembers one of the biggest onset tragedies in recent years when cinematographer Helena Hutchins was killed after being shot by a prop gun on the set of Alec Baldwin's movie, Rust. Well, it appears Baldwin is now suing several members of the Rust crew. According to Joe Blow, Baldwin's suit puts the blame for the shooting at the hands of Chief Armorer Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, Dave Halls, the assistant director, Sarah Zachary, the prop master, and gun supplier Seth Kennedy. In the lawsuit, it states, 
Gutierrez Reed failed to check the bullets or gun carefully. Hall failed to check the gun carefully and yet announced the gun was safe before handing it to Alec Baldwin. And Zachary failed to disclose that Gutierrez Reed had been acting recklessly offset and was a safety risk to those around her. Rust is set to resume production in January with Hannah's husband now acting as an executive producer. And that'll do it for today's installment of the Movie News Feed. All right, some of you guys might remember the Movie News Feed. Uh, There's just so much going on in the world of TV movies, we don't have a chance to cover all of it. Let us know, by the way, down in the comment section below, if you like us throwing in these Movie News Feeds to tell you more about some of the smaller stories that we don't have a chance to talk about on the main show. Okay, guys. With that down, we're going to take a second here and thank another sponsor of today's show. I'm a huge fan of these guys. I go to them, watch the videos all the time. The good folks at Masterclass. Hey guys, we want to take a second to thank the sponsor of this video, Masterclass. You guys know we have been sponsored by Masterclass and we love them here at the John Campia Show for giving us in-depth information on a wide variety of topics from the world's best experts. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn the art of filmmaking from James Cameron, improve your cooking skills from Gordon Ramsay, or learn how to make compelling YouTube videos from Marquise Brownlee. With over 150 classes from a range of world world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I was recently watching through the independent filmmaking course by Spike Lee, and I found it fascinating that not only did he cover the broader topics like working with actors, but he also gets into finer details like working with a cinematographer and how to properly audition a DP for your project. It was fascinating. So guys, I highly recommend that you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as a John Campia Show listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash campia now. That's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off masterclass. And thank you to our friends at masterclass for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia show. Remember guys, when you support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So make sure you go down the description of this video and right at the top, you're going to see links and promo codes to all of our sponsors. And once again, thank you to masterclass. All right, guys. Before we uh, move on into our main topics here, it's been a little bit. I think it's time for us to play a little game of movie quotes. For those of you who don't know, here's how movie quotes work. I'm going to give a movie quote to one of our players. If they get it on the first quote, they get four points. If not, the other players have a chance to steal, but if they try to steal and miss it, they're going to lose those points. Then if nobody gets it, we move on to quote number two, quote number three, and the points continue to go down from there. So we have four contestants. We have Rob competing against Chris competing against Ray, competing against Alu. So let's get things started here. And we're going to start with uh, Alu. We're going to start with you. Now, here's how the thing goes. If you, one of the players, think you know what the answer is when it's somebody else's turn and they don't get it, raise your paddle up. But be warned, if you raise your paddle and I go to you and you don't know what the actual answer is, you're going to lose that amount of points. So be very, very careful about it. All right? All right. So, Lou, we're going to start it with you. And for our first movie, the first quote we're giving you is, I admit it's fatally dangerous, but I get to fly around like Iron Man. Oh, shoot. Movies only, right? No shows. Movies only. Okay. And three, Ah! two. Winter Soldier. Incorrect. Ah! All right. Oh, Ray's got his hand up. I got my paddle, though. I know what it is. Okay. For four points for the The, steal. The Martian. For four points, Ray goes to the Martian. That is right. The Martian, congratulations. All All right. 
<laughs> Ray goes into the lead with yeah. four points. All right. We move on to movie number two. And Ray, we're going to start off with you on this one. Why? For four <laughs> more points, here is your first quote. Crying helps me slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems. Crying helps me slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems. Three, two, one. No, anybody want to steal? No? Okay. Then, Rob, we move over to you with quote number two. The first quote, once again, was, uh, crying helps me uh, slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems. Your second quote is, all right, we did not die today. I call that an unqualified success. I know that, but I don't know that. In three, two, one. No, anybody want to try to steal? If I have zero points, we'll just go to You'll lose, you go to negatives. Ah, shit, never mind. (laughs) Okay, no, all right, we go to Chris. By the way, contestants, close your uh, laptop lids. Obviously, nobody's been cheating, but just want to make sure. All right. Rob Rob likes to Chris, Mm -hmm. we go over to you with the third quote from this movie. And the third quote from this movie is, we should lock the door and scream that curse word we know. It's a good one. In three, two... One time. Anybody want to steal for for two points? No? Okay, then we go to Alu with the final clue worth one point. And Alu, your final quote from this movie is, we've been through a lot lately, that's for sure, but we still love our girl. She has a she has great out. new friend. Oh, sorry. What's that? <laughs> inside out. For one point, inside out. Yay! Alu gets it for one point. All right. So right now, after we're halfway through. Ray is in the lead with four points. Alou is in second with one point. All right, we now move on. And who we start? We're starting with Rob now. Mm. All right. Mm. Rob, for movie number three, our first quote is, she locked away a secret deep inside herself, something she once knew to be true but chose to forget. In three, two, one, no. Anybody want to try to steal for four points? No? All right. Then let's move on to quote two, going to Chris for three points. The second quote from this movie is, don't you want to take a leap of faith or become an old man filled with regret waiting to die alone? Did, did Rob say that? Like what? <laughs> Rob. <In> no. Three, <laughs> two, one. No. Uh-huh. Anybody want to try to steal for three points? No, all right. We move on to Alu now with quote number three. The third quote is, dreams feel real while we're in them. It's only when we wake up that we oh, realize something was actually strange. I know this one. Um, uh, Inception. It is Inception yeah. for two points. All right, she's oh, gaining on Ray. She's gaining yeah. on Ray. Can I admit something? What's that? I've never seen Inception. <gasps> what? I know. I know. Oh, you need to actually take a poll or like a thing of what movies we've watched. So yeah. <laughs> oh, you I would lose. love you Inception. I've not seen something. All right. So we're going into the final round now. Oh, shoot. It's still anybody's game, actually. Oh, this is the last question? Right? This is the last question. Oh, Ray I still in the lead with four. Oh, no. Alou is in second with three. I'll Rob and one. Chris are still <laughs> both within striking distance to force an overtime. Okay. So who are we starting with on Me. this one? We're starting with... No, 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 no it's Alou. Start with Chris. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yes, Chris. It's All right. Turn. Chris, for four to points fail. and a tie of the lead, your <laughs> first quote is, it's amazing how productive doing nothing can be. In three, 
two, one. My husband. No. All right. Alou, we go over to you now for three points and the win. (laughs) Your second quote is, in there is a new world. In there is our future. In there is our destiny. For three points and the win in three, two, one. Dances with wolves. (laughs) Incorrect. Anybody want to try to steal? It's a wonderful. All right, Ray, we go over to you. (laughs) (laughs) Your third quote is character one says, what's your plan? Character two says, I'm a user. I'll improvise. Oh, damn it. Uh, uh, Social network. Incorrect. Anybody want to steal? Steal. Scott or paddle up? Chris? Tron. Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy ah! is correct for two points. And okay. your winner yes! is Aura. Yeah. Yeah. He wins four never happen to, again. to three to two. No, to three. You also had three, did you not? No, I think I only had two oh, points. Oh, that was worth two. So yeah. Ray wins with four points. Alou comes in second with three. Chris comes in third with two. Uh, Rob, I really would have thought you would have got that... Uh, I really would have thought you would have got that strong I, 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 She had her chair. See how yeah, hard that game is? That is a hard game. Not, That's a difficult a game. No but, quotes. I mean, uh, but congratulations to well, Ray they, for pulling well, it out and winning yeah. it. I got lucky. But. <laughs> all right, guys, with all that down, we are now going to move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics on the John Campion show? Well, that's easy. You guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic here on The John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, hello. What is our first main topic today? Main topic number one comes to us from Amen, who says, Hello, crew. Happy Monday. This weekend marked the three-year anniversary of Disney+, and since then, we've gotten a lot of good and some bad, depending on who you ask. Looking back and seeing how the service launched and where it is today, what are some of the biggest wins and losses that Disney Plus has had? How has the streaming service performed, and what do you think Disney needs to do moving forward to make it even better? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, Amin, thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, it just over the weekend was the third anniversary since Disney Plus launched. I still remember being at D23 a, a couple of years ago when they were handing out all the hats and Disney Plus swag and really pumping the promotion of the show. And it launched with Mandalorian. And then nothing for a long time. But now it seems like new premium content, whether it's Marvel or Star Wars, is, is popping out all the time coming out on there. So... Let's take a minute here and let's look at what has come out. We're going to mainly focus on Star Wars and the MCU because let's face it, that's what everybody goes to Disney Plus for who's not going for the library of the classic Disney content. But that's what they're going there for. So let's take a look at what they've had out here. Let's take a review here, shall we? So let's go into the Campia classroom. And when we look at what they've put out for Star Wars, it's already been a lot of stuff. We, of course, have had The Mandalorian Seasons 1 and 2. Book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan, Tales of the Jedi, which just came out, Bad Batches Season 1 and 2, Star Wars Resistance Season 1 and 2, although a little bit of question mark on that. Was that Disney Plus? I can't remember for sure. I put it on there just to cover my bases. All right, then we, of course, had Star Wars Visions, and obviously right now we've got Andor. On the Marvel side, we've had WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, imagine going back a few years before we knew Disney Plus was coming. 
and being told that Disney's has its own TV service coming and it's going to have these shows. WandaVision, Falcon the Winter Soldier, Loki, Hawkeye, She-Hulk, Werewolf by Night, and What If. That is That would excite you a lot. Now, there are some hits and misses in all of these. I mean, you look at, for hits, obviously you're looking at Mandalorian, you're looking at Andor, you're looking at WandaVision, you're looking at a few things like that. Uh, yeah, Ray. Can I just give a shout out, since it's just Star Wars and Marvel, that my most favorite thing that I've seen on Disney Plus is Turning Red. That's probably my favorite thing. So just a yeah, shout out to that movie. Which so should have been released in theaters. should have 100%. been a theatrical release because that soul uh, as well. But we're going to talk, we're going to get more into the, the Pixar and Disney oh, okay, stuff about okay. things. But that's a great thing it. to shout out. Okay. So I'm going to talk here for just for a second about what I would say are the top five things. Notwithstanding things like Turning Red, which was fantastic and it should have been theatrical. But out of all these things we've been talking about here, here's my top five of what Disney Plus has done celebrating its third anniversary. Going to start with uh, Werewolf uh, by Night. I really enjoyed Werewolf by Night. I didn't think it was like the instant masterpiece that some people think it is, but I was very pleasantly surprised by it. I love the kind of angle they took on it, the kind of style that they gave it that doesn't necessarily fit with a lot of the rest of the MCU, but that's one of the things that I found so refreshing about it and I really, really enjoyed about it. All right, at number four, uh, Mandalorian season two. I'm going to say is next up at number four. I know it's it's kind of, I, I didn't know where to put Mandalorian, whether to put a one or two in the, in the top five. I love both the seasons, but Mandalorian season two, absolutely loved. At number three, I'm going Ms. Marvel. I, I, I confess, I like this show more than most people did, but I was instantly won over by the charm of that show. And every single week I salivated to get back and hang out with that family more. I, I could have watched, that's the great thing about Ms. Marvel. Take out all the Marvel elements. Take out all the superhero elements. If that show was nothing but a half hour every week of just seeing this family interact together around their living room, I would have been hooked on it anyway. Then you added all the other elements into it. I thought it was freaking brilliant. I loved it. For me, number two, right now, it's still, it feels weird to put it on there because it hasn't finished yet, but Andor. I think Andor is hands down the best Star Wars thing they put out, even better than Mandalorian, and you know how much I love Mandalorian. Uh, but Andor is just next level television. It's the first non-Disney Plus feeling show that they put on Disney Plus. Because this show feels like an HBO show to me. So for me, it's going to be Andor. And at number one, you know, no surprise here, uh, WandaVision. I you are going to do think, Boba Fett. Hmm. What's that? Yeah, no, it's surprising, what? right, that I didn't put Book of really Boba Fett on that. Totally a shock. <laughs> um, or or Obi-Wan. Oh, my gosh. I would have sworn I would have put Obi-Wan hmm. on there. Uh, but no, WandaVision to me continues to be the gold standard. But I'll tell you what, Andor, you ask me in a year. Ask me after Andor finishes his last two episodes. It's possible Andor might even supplant WandaVision for me as the best thing that they put out on Disney Plus so far. So anyway, that's my particular list. Uh, Werewolf by Night, super impressive to me. Mandalorian Season 2, Ms. Marvel, Andor, and WandaVision. That's for me. Rob, as you look back now, we've celebrated three years of Disney Plus. What to you stands out as your favorite things that they put on the service so well, far? Well, I think like you, it's probably Andor, but I think your list speaks to a problem that I think Disney Plus has. When I watch, when I walk into my room at night, Elizabeth is watching stuff on Netflix that's wildly diverse. Sometimes it's the Great British Baking Show. 
I didn't realize Taylor stars in a new show called The Big Brunch. <laughs> uh, I was watching that last night. There's a drink show. Then I'll watch Stranger Things. There is a diversity of programming on a Netflix that I love to watch. All different kinds of things. Documentaries, foreign shows like Germany's Dark. That list that you just put up shows that the only things that I'm interested in on Disney Plus are Marvel and, D uh, Marvel and um, Star Wars shows. I've tried, like, I like the Jeff Goldblum series. I think. Oh, yeah, I did too. Yeah. I, 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 don't quite like, I like yeah. that show. I thought it was good. It was fun to watch. It was like, what's Jeff Goldblum interested in? Like, I like that show. And, and there was the, um, there's the Will Smith. I don't know if that's on Nat Geo, but. Mm -hmm. yeah, the that's Will part Smith. of Disney yeah. Plus. Yeah. Disney Plus. So that's on there too. I mean, I like stuff like that. The Chris Hemsworth one. And the Chris Hemsworth, what I haven't seen, but I want to see it. So the Star Wars and MCU stuff, I'm going to watch. What Disney Plus needs is diversification in their programming, I think. If they want more subscribers, they want to retain their subscribers. Right now, I think they're leaning too heavily on their marquee items because they got us. You know you know when they say, well, the nerds are going to show up anyway. They're going to be there opening day. That's kind of what Disney Plus has. I just wish they had more because I feel myself only going there to watch these shows. But can an argument be made that that is by design because – Unlike Netflix or unlike Paramount Plus, Disney has several streaming services where they put out other content, like yeah. like like uh, like their Sons of Anarchy stuff and things like that on FX, on Hulu. So they they kind of have that. So I wonder, well, if it's fair. And I and I don't. This isn't a rhetorical question. I, I mean this honestly. I wonder if it's fair to judge on that when they do put out that other type of content just on a different one of their streaming. Well, I services. find it interesting. They're leaning into Doctor Who. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, so they're going out and they're getting, uh, like, I'm very interested in that. I'm so and that's, excited. I am too. And they're, they're putting more money into that. I mean, I would love to see Disney Plus do more programming. Look, they got me. At, but the problem is I only go there once when there's, I never go back and rewatch stuff. And I would like to see more on Disney Plus beyond that. And I think that would only benefit their service because when they do do shows like that Jeff Goldblum show, I like them. They're beautifully made, really well produced, really interesting. They have an interesting take. And I just know that the way I feel about like Netflix or HBO Max, you know, I got home really late last night and um, I had to wait to upload this file and it was going to take two hours. I watched Spotlight on HBO Max. Don't know why. I just had... Okay, you know, I'm sorry, because I'm sorry, I had to sit there and watch the thing anyway, and and uh, I just liked that it was there. You know, and I would like to see more of that on, who knows what you'll find on these streaming services, and that's half the yeah. fun. Best horror movie, in my opinion, is Spotlight. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that movie will shake you. Anyway, my, my mom Chris, was part of that archdiocese. We are now three years into Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. When you look at it, what are the things that really stand out to you that have been their biggest successes for you? I mean, I love your list, but gosh, the the animated properties are so lovely. And obviously, I've got a bias there. I love Disney. I was an intern for them. I go to that park as often as I can. I love them. Uh, and there's just such magic in like all of the Pixar films. I watch Luca probably once a month. Mm -hmm. uh, you all know I like to do an eat-along with movies. <laughs> so I make the Trinidad <laughs> al pesto, and then we watch the movie, and it's real cute. And I'm like, oh, yay, this 16th century Genoa pasta. This is so good. Um, I really loved Turning Red, like Ray. I think that movie was great. The thing that stands out to me about that, though, is the disrespect. <laughs> like, Bob Chapek has made some boneheaded moves, but not doing theatrical releases for these wonderful animated films cost him so much money. 
And if Turning Red had been out in theaters, if Luca had been out in theaters, if Raya had been out in theaters, and I know we had the pandemic, right? We had to figure out how we were doing things. But if they did a re-release of these two, I would have my butt in the El Capitan right away. I would love to go see them. So I think there's been some missteps when we have what goes to Disney streaming first. Um, I love that Jeff Goldblum show too. I think that's really, really fun. Well, they've done more things too outside of that, like going into, like as we move beyond just the Star Wars and the Marvel stuff, you look at things like Light and Magic. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Right? Light and Magic was absolutely fantastic. And the Imagineering documentary. The Imagineering documentary, that sort of stuff that is, you know, very much Disney-centric and yeah. Disney-focused, but still it's really good. Then, you, of course, then we move beyond that and we look at the stuff like the stuff they released, Soul, by the way. None of us have, Soul have mentioned was great. Soul. Soul was wonderful. Yeah. Turning Red, I thought, was they, absolutely magnificent. They Onward. even had the documentary before the movie of the the boys that got stuck in the cave. I think it was called The Cave. Was it called The Cave? Something or, like that. Uh, the, um, Cause, uh, the, uh, Amazon had the movie, again? but before that, Disney actually had, had the, the documentary yeah. the real doc- on it. And it was, that one I was can't good. remember what it might have been called, The Cave. But let's also then look past that to what truly is. I think the strongest part and the most appealing part of Disney Plus, which is their catalog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then you're talking about Pixar, Disney Animation, all the old MCU like. And listen, you you may only go on there when there's the new Andor, right? I got to admit, I'm going on there a lot more lately. Like I'm going into my theater room and I'm popping on Shang-Chi or I'm watching the first Iron Man or I'm going sure. back and watching a little bit of, I want to see that final space battle in Return of the Jedi or I wanted mm-hmm. to... And their library continues to be, I think, the main selling point to families. I agree. Totally and, agree. If you're a family, you have to have it. Yeah, I, I think it's a must-have. And if they buy like new properties, right, those obviously will go on there. Like, Imagine if they actually bought all of Dragon Ball. <laughs> then all of that will go up there. Well, you're not wrong. I mean, I know I'm not, got- I'm just saying, like, there's opportunity for not even just Disney stuff, whatever they purchase they could put on there or the, or it could go on hulu right so they have hulu. i just don't see them needing to buy a lot of content because they create right, so much they, yeah although i gotta tell you i just pre-ordered this guy king which is a japanese super robot series from the 70s and i kind of wish that disney plus had all those like uh, and a lot of their old like they've got walt the walt disney world the wonderful world of disney but a lot of their documentaries and stuff they could put more on that they because it's a standard def they don't but I could see them doing more. I don't think that would appeal to a lot of people. But, right. but then we start looking at the future for Disney Plus. Because one of the things they were asking about, where do they go from here? I honestly think it is inevitable that Hulu will merge in with Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a lot of markets, they don't have Hulu. So they they put it on something, what do they call it? Star or Star I can't, Plus. Yeah. And they just include that as a section on Disney Plus. So in a lot of international markets, you get all your Hulu and FX content in the Disney Plus app anyway, under a different section. Yeah. And while I really love Hulu, I think it is pretty inevitable that at some point, I don't know that it's going to be this year. I don't know that it's going to be next year, maybe 2024, maybe 2025. But I do think it's inevitable that they're going to follow their international approach here and that Hulu is just going to become a section on Disney Plus. Maybe age restrict that one section a little bit. So maybe you got to put in a secondary adult password or something to watch it. Yeah. But because that would address the issue that you brought up, right? About having that more diversification of content, um, the different types of stories, maybe some of the more adult fare. That could then yeah. go on there and it would make it something of a powerhouse. 
Anyway, guys, question is for you. We are three years into Disney Plus right now. They've had a lot of success. They've also had some stumbles. What stands out to you about the things you've really loved about Disney Plus? What are some things they need to do to improve moving forward? I don't know. Maybe not charging the same price for regular Disney Plus for their ad-supported one. <laughs> that could be a start. Anyway, whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down... It is Monday, which means it's time for us to look backwards. And it's a little segment we do that we call Rewind. Looking at the movies that are turning 10 years old this week and turning 20 years old, also known as our Feeling Old segment. Yep. And as we look back, let's first look at the movies turning 20 years old. First of all, oh my God, not even the first movie, the second one. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets turns 20 years old this week. Obviously, eight, now we're going back 20 years. And this movie made $880 million at the box office 20 years ago. Uh, of course, it was beloved by audiences and the critics. You saw it had an 82% on the Rotten Tomatoes meter. This was the movie that told the world, okay, the Harry Potter thing, this is going to be a long-term thing. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they rolled the dice. They tried to make a movie out of this popular book, and they had some success with the first one. Could they follow it up? Could they actually do all of them? It was Chamber of Secrets when this thing came out, and it was completely embraced by the critics and the audiences and obviously the box office. That kind of went, all right, now it's a foregone conclusion. Warner Brothers could stand back and go, we're making all of them. We're now making all of them. We don't even have to wonder about it anymore. It's pedal to the metal. It's full-blown. And that franchise, I'm not a Potterhead. That franchise is magical. And that was the movie. Chamber of Secrets is the one to me that cemented that it would be a long-running franchise. And I think that's why that movie is so absolutely significant. Also, on that same level of magnificence, we have the, of course, all-time classic. There it is. Half Past Dead with Steven Seagal and Ja Rule. The good, the bad, and I the deadly. I hear he stands up to fight in this one. This. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um, with a mighty, impressive 300. No, that's just three. Three percent <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I had to do a double check on that one. But hey, it did. Listen, I kid you. Listen, don't scoff at $19 million. This movie made 19 million bucks. That awful, that bad. But you just throw the name Steven Seagal. That was the error, I suppose. <laughs> and it could pull in 20 million bucks. Actually, Steven Seagal was probably in the waning era of his career by this point. But still, it made nearly 20 million bucks. I don't want to spend any more time in this movie because it was completely awful. I don't even so, know what that title means. Half past dead. Look so you're at dead. half of Steven Seagal's titles. You don't know you're what they are. You're dead, but you're halfway past it now, too. <laughs> the movie was no on Deadly Ground. I love the way he wears bandanas. <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to <laughs> Only he can do it. All right. So those are the movies turning 20. Turning 10 years old this week. I cannot believe this was 10 years ago. It was the final chapter. Mm. Well, first, we'll start with this one. It Silver Linings Playbook. This, to me, still feels like a movie that came out like five years yep, ago. Yeah. It does to me, too. It's right? these 10-year ones that get me. I'm like, how? Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Like, the 20-year, like, I'm surprised it's 20 years ago, but it does not feel like it was yesterday. <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook feels like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And this was the movie, like, I remember celebrating when Bradley Cooper was becoming a big star because I was a huge Bradley Cooper fan for when he was in Alias. 
And then when he started to land movie roles, I got so excited. Of course, then The Hangover came, made him a legit star. But this was the movie that kind of put him in the A-list level. This right? is a great, he delivers an incredible performance in this yeah. movie. Did he get a nomination for this one? I can't remember I if he know. did. He should have. Uh, but I mean, this was a movie filled. I mean, Robert De Niro was absolutely fantastic in this movie. Uh, Jennifer was absolutely fantastic. This is a great movie. And again, it was rewarded a drama making 200, bring that, the graphic up again, making 200 and something million dollars for that style, that genre of a movie, uh, was incredible. Again, obviously the critics totally responded to it. They loved it. 92% on that. So I cannot believe that was 10 years ago, but this one really gets me. The final chapter of the Twilight Saga was Ooh, 10 Twilight. years ago. And I tell you, I'll tell you, I'm not even kidding when I say that because I was there at the premiere of this movie. <laughs> I was at the premiere of this movie and I cannot believe that that was 10 years ago. How do and you make that? I will tell you what. I did not hate this movie. <laughs> Were you team Jacob or team Edward? I was actually team Jacob. Ooh. Um, oh. I did not dislike this movie. Now, look, I said from the beginning, like the first Twilight came out and I was like, okay, this isn't for me, but I will at least say that I like it when movies steer off the regular road, right? And so they took the vampire tropes and they decided to play with it a little bit. Every They made them kind of mutants where every vampire had its own unique power. The whole idea about going to sunlight doesn't dust them, but it they become exposed. Makes them sparkle in the sunlight. Sparkle <laughs> makes them more exposed, but it makes them exposed. So I actually respected that they were going off the beaten, tried and true vampire tropes of that. Again, the movie was not for me, and, and they became kind of terrible. But I'll tell you what, I did not hate the last one. I thought the last one was kind of creative. Again, it reflects and bring bring up the, the screen again there, but it had like nearly a 50% rating which meant that nearly half of the critics actually liked it and it made obscene amounts of money. Um, again, I don't know if we've got the graphic there uh, ready for us, Jonathan, but it made 848 million. Okay, you ready? You can go back on me now, Jonathan. <laughs> Hold on to your hats for a second, all right? This movie, Twilight, final chapter, made more than double than Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam. <laughs> Wrap your heads around that. That's that's how much of a phenom. So you, we can sit here, and I've, I'm guilty of this too. I've totally done it. We can sit here as fanboys and mock, oh, the stupid Twilight movies. <laughs> Doubled what Dwayne Johnson made on Black Adam. I mean, I mean, that's how successful it was. It was crazy successful. So Rob, let's go over to you. We look at these, we're looking at this second Harry Potter movie, the final uh, uh, the final uh, uh, Breaking Twilight, Dawn, yeah, Twilight movie. We're talking about Silver Linings. We're talking about Half Past Dead. But which of these movies really stand out to you as we look back? Well, I mean, like you said, uh, to be honest, I was not a big fan of the first Harry Potter movie. I thought it was too much of a slavish uh, adaptation of the book. And because of that, it lost some of the magic that they could have put in there by by doing more of an adaptation. But Chamber of Secrets, when I went and saw Chamber of Secrets, I'm like, okay, mm. this movie worked better for me. And I had only read the first Harry Potter book. And I was like, uh, that it, it was very apparent that this was a franchise that, like you said, was not going anywhere. And I could see, it, I, I felt the first, the movie was stilted. And the, just because it had to 
it, they had to skew so close to the book. But the second film felt more, I guess, more magical to me. Um, and it, uh, you, could, you could tell it was going to change the world. The books were still being published back then as well. Not all the books had come out yet. And there were kids lining up at midnight to go buy a book. I mean, that was it was an incredible... Haven't Had not seen that before, and I don't know that we've seen it since. No, it was <laughs> phenomenal. But then again, Harry Potter made the Twilight franchise popular because it was another YA franchise. And Harry Potter made the YA genre of any kind monstrously huge. And everybody was looking for their next... Harry Potter. And I would say that the Twilight franchise is probably the closest thing we came. And then we had Hunger Games. Those are probably, yeah. I mean, nothing surpasses Harry Potter, but Harry Potter made Twilight success mm -hmm. possible. And by the way, Twilight also is responsible for another franchise that made an unbelievable <laughs> okay. amount of money. Yep. The Fifty Shades of Grey films, as preposterously completely awful as those movies are. Those movies made bank, and some people don't know today that Fifty Shades of Grey is based on Twilight fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> so Twilight was oh responsible for all the money it made and all the money that Fifty Shades and, made. And what's interesting is you could see an audience progression. Yes. You know, you started reading Harry Potter, you graduated to Twilight, and then you went to Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> and an argument could be made. I mean, the thing about the, thing about the Harry Potter books until later, there, there's no, like, over role, there's no real sexuality or romance. But here's the in thing: them. you 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 can see the progression you're setting up. You can see the audience getting older with them because the little girls went go, from going in, in when they were younger watching the first Twilight. I want Edward to hold my hand. To I want to fuck Edward, and right. that's where they got into the. Well, that was I mean, he was a perfect right? boyfriend. He was he was your ethereal, beautiful boy that didn't want to touch you. So you know, as you went through adolescence. <laughs> From the time you're like 10 content. all the way up to... <laughs> Chris is holding something in because she's dying right now. No, this is wonderful. Keep going. <laughs> you know, I mean, but that's... And then, by like you said, John, by the end, by Breaking Dawn Part 2, mm -hmm. you know, you want to break off something. And it started... And then you you work your way up shades of gray. <laughs> you know, and it's like going from elementary school to high school to college. And then, yeah. and then Maze friends. Runner is like YA the next class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Or, com you know, community classes after work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, we go over to you. I feel so seen. When we um, look at well, all these films that are turning 20 and 10, what is standing out to you? Oh, man. Well, Harry Potter, I, I grew up with those books. I was that kid at the midnight releases because they started coming out when I was Harry Potter's age. And yeah. it was so magical to be like, oh, I'm, I could be a wizard too, oh my gosh, in a way that I didn't get from comic books, right? That I really, really loved and connected with. Um, man, I have no idea about the Steven Seagal movie, but now I want to watch it. 3%? <laughs> you really so don't. Bad. Yeah, it's I think so it'll be like, mm, I have things to do. <laughs> watch his first movie, Above the Law, and okay. leave it there. Um, and then, what was our other one? Oh, Twilight. Okay. To me, these movies came out two years ago because I watched them during the pandemic and I watched all of them. Right. And they are ridiculous and I love them now. I was like, <laughs> what? And, you know, maybe Black Adam just needed to have that hideous monster baby and then they'd be making more money because that baby in the Breaking Dawn movies is friggin' terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> she is spooky. She's a spooky little baby. Strange. What was the? Renesmee. 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 And by the way, you know, I just realized Rob is Jacob. Because you know, Jake, she'll get older. He <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Jacob with the, with baby Renesmee? You have to have seen Twilight to know what we're talking about. <laughs> That's where you got that line. I totally got it from Twilight. Oh, You know, I will admit something, though. No, don't. Oh, don't. No, no, no. I actually liked the first Twilight movie. I was at least interested in I, the difference they took on the mythology. I hadn't read the book that made me read the first book, but I think it was directed by Catherine Hardwick. I think Wasn't you're right. It? Yeah, and 13. I thought yeah. I, I thought it was pretty good. Like I, just, I, I didn't know what the, the whole thing was about, and I love vampires. I love horror fiction. But I'm like, I had no interest. But I watched that movie. I'm like, this is all right. I feel so bad for her dad the entire time. Like, I want a Twilight movie that is just told from his perspective of being like, what the actual fuck is going on with my kid and this weird anemic boy and then her best friend who's never wearing a shirt. Why are you all in my house? And then her mom's just like, I'm living in another state and nothing's wrong. I'm like, where's my mother? Why are all these supernatural beings holed up in the Pacific Northwest? I'm from Seattle. I'm like, it's gloomy and dark. Yeah, I wouldn't live there. I'd go somewhere else. I'd go to Europe. Although I was, I think think it was Twilight in all honesty. I think it was Twilight that kind of engineered this filming technique that started to be used in a lot of other types of movies where they wanted to show the vampires were really fast, right? They literally went in the, in the woods because you know, you go into an airport and when you get to the long hallways, they've got a flat escalator that just goes flat. (laughs) And if you walk, you feel like you're moving at super speed. You know, Disney owns those. What's that? Disney owns those. They do. Do they? People mover technology, and they own that. They have to pay Disney. Airports pay Disney for that yeah, technology. Yeah, yeah, Disney. That's a oh, movie. Dang. That's nobody should be allowed to own a copyright on that. Anyway, <laughs> what they did in People Twilight mover. was they would go down the woods and they would literally make one of those conveyor belts, like a, a thirty-yard-long conveyor belt that was moving at a certain speed, and then they would have the actor who was a vampire just running on the conveyor belt, and it created the illusion. They were, they were moving at superhuman speed. And then we've seen other movies kind of adopt that technology moving forward. It was actually really, really quite smart because it, it worked really well. Anyway, guys, question is for you. As we look back at those films turning 10 and 20 years old this week, which ones stand out to you the most? Whichever ones those are, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's take a second to thank another sponsor of today's show. I love the dinners they make for me, our friends at HelloFresh. We want to take a moment and thank a sponsor of today's video, HelloFresh. Guys, my wife Ann and I love using HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. When you subscribe to HelloFresh, you can check save money off of your fall to-do list. HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout and even less expensive than grocery shopping too. And HelloFresh works with your ever-changing schedule. Plans are flexible and you can choose your meals for the week, update your preferences, or change your delivery day all in the HelloFresh app. Now you know Ann and I are both working professionals, so when it comes to dinner time, it can be a bit of a challenge. We don't really have time to cook and we don't want to eat out all the time. And that's why HelloFresh comes through so clutch for us. Not only do we get to eat delicious, nutritious food, but Ann and I both have a lot of fun getting to cook together, following the easy-to-follow steps in getting the meals made. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Campia65 and use the code Campia65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Campia65 using the code Campia65 for 65% off plus free shipping. And thank you to our friends at HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, with that down, 
Let's move into main topic number three. Alu, with Cheez-Its in hand. What is our third main topic today? Main topic number three comes to us from Chaz Tappet, who says, John, been watching since the AMC days. I just finished the first episode of Tulsa King on Paramount Plus, And oh my gosh, I'm absolutely in love with it. As someone who lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I think they did an incredible job making the city just as much of a character in the show as everyone else. Although some of the characters are a bit exaggerated, it's all very close to home and they nailed pretty much everything. I'm so excited for the next episode and I'm already counting down for next week. Did you guys get a chance to see it yet? I'm curious to hear what you and Rob thought. Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And Taylor Sheridan is just on fire. And the stuff, I love everything that he does. I love Mayor of Kingstown. I love Yellowstone. I mean, he's just creating hit after hit. He makes them hits, Ray. Mm -hmm. He makes them hits. That's all he does. <laughs> so when we saw he was making this Tulsa King with Sylvester Stallone about this mobster who's been in prison for 20 years, he comes out now and he's got to establish a new family, if you will, out in Tulsa. Fascinating. Totally on board. I want to check this out. I thought the trailers were quite good. But then it wasn't really getting the response that I was expecting. If we can go over to my screen here for a second, Jonathan. And when you go over, it's only got, I mean, that's not terrible, but it, it's got a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, granted, that's only with 23 reviews in, but still it was a little bit lower than I was hoping to see. So whatever. So last night, after I was, as I was writing the show notes, I realized we got Tulsa Kings there. So I hit pause on my show note writing. I sat down and I watched Tulsa King. All right. It is not what I thought it was going to be. Nope. Even though there was some <laughs> gags in the trailers, I still thought this was going to be like Mayor of Kingstown. It was going to be darker, hard hitting. It was going to be violent. It was going to be all, all this kind of stuff, but with Stallone as, as a mobster, right? And it's not. It's Sheridan's first kind of attempt at doing a hybrid dramedy. Yeah, drama and comedy, right? And I was not expecting that at all. So uh, it, it caught me a little bit. It, jar, it was a bit jarring, if you will, to me, right? When I was sitting down and watching it. But I'll be damned. It worked for me. I, I was watching it and I was laughing. And I was really getting into the character. I even paused at one point just to go, because Anne was watching The Crown in the other room, just because I wanted to tell somebody. I went out and I told Anne, like, I paused it. When I said, I'm watching this Sylvester Stallone thing. And it's surprisingly really good. It's totally different than what I thought it would be. And I, and I get it. There were some people that were jarred by it negatively because they were expecting more of a Mayor of Kingstown kind of feel to yeah. it or a Yellowstone feel to it. Totally understandable. But it was not that for me, and I dug it. And I, I was telling Rob this morning when I came in, you know me, I believe actors are completely interchangeable. I mean, that's the role of acting, right? That's what you're meant to do. You're meant to become a chameleon and morph into whatever that role is. But I'll tell you, after watching one episode, I don't know what they do if Stallone said no to this show. Because I, I cannot imagine anybody else playing this role. I mean, I'm sure somebody else would have, and I'm sure it would have been fine. But I have a hard time imagining somebody else that could have played this role that's supposed to be this 75, and the character's supposed to be 75, yeah. to be a 75-year-old, but you believe he could kick the shit out of anybody he comes across in the street. Yeah. And that's Stallone. And I personally thought he was great. I thought he was great. I thought the supporting cast was great. I love his his driver. I really got into his driver a lot. I love the dude. He's in the Spider-Man movies, the guy who's the owner of the pot shop. 
I really like him. Um, the, you know, the people at the bar. Now, is it filled with tropes? Yes. Is it kind of on the nose in a lot of ways? Yes. And that's all valid. That's, those are all valid criticisms. But despite those criticisms, this show worked for me. And I'll tell you what, Rob, I'm finding myself excited about next Sunday so I can watch the next episode. You had a chance to watch Tulsa King. What did you think about it? I think, you know, we're talking about this earlier. I think you're right. I think what's really interesting about this show is Sylvester Stallone has many different incarnations throughout his career. He was marrying Cobretti. You know, crime is a disease. I'm the cure. He's Rocky. He was Rambo. He also was Oscar, and he's also in Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. He was Machine Copland. Gun, Copland, Machine Gun Joe Viterbo, and Death Race 2000. This seems to be a distillation of 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 elements from throughout Stallone's career. Of there's the serious Stallone, the playful Stallone. There's the way you see him act with his daughters when they like interview him on their podcast. And and it, it, there's sort of a wry sensibility in him, where he's not making fun of himself. He's it's serious, but with the knowledge of everything that comes with being Sylvester Stallone, and the fact that it's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, like our viewer said, how Tulsa's a a character. Like I love Tulsa all the way back from the Outsiders and Rumblefish. Two of the <laughs> I, Rumblefish is one of my favorite teen movies of the '80s, and it's set in Tulsa. It's not the place you would think to send him. And the the milieu and the character of Stallone and all the surrounding players all works together in this kind of frothy mix of entertainment value that I didn't expect I was going to get. And I, I like you, man. I'm like, when it was over, I'm like, I wish I wish this was, I could binge this. I wish I, there was a second episode on it. I would yeah. watch it right away because I was just, you know, I think I've always liked Stallone. I've never not liked him. And this is kind of like watching, it's different than what Shatner did in like Boston Legal, but it's still got that. It's still, you know, you're watching Sylvester Stallone, but it's everything you like about Sylvester Stallone wrapped into one and he's having such a good time. You know, one of the things this show does that I love when a show does it, I love it when movies do this too. I love it when a movie or show doesn't feel like they need to waste the first 10 minutes with, let's just set the atmosphere of this world. They yeah. don't. This show, boom, I'm in prison. I'm getting out today. I'm going to go see the crap. Five minutes into this show, and you're the show is completely off and running. I love that. And like you that. said with tropes, you know when you go to prison, you don't rat out your, your crew, You don't, which he didn't do. You so know, he got 20 years. Uh, 20 years in prison. And, and so we know all of this. It plays into all the tropes of gangsterism and all that that we've seen in every Scorsese movie and every other movie that came out since then. So they're, they're leaning into that as a shorthand, and it works, I think. Anyway, guys, if you have not had a chance yet to see Tulsa King, I, I kind of recommend that you do. I mean, it's one of those things where you can tell it's not going to be for everybody, and that's fine. But if you guys did see Tulsa King, what did you guys think of it? We quite enjoyed it. Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into our fourth and final main topic today. Alu, what is our fourth main topic today? Topic number four comes to us from Steve Calderon, who says, Black Panther 2 debuts with $180 million this weekend, beating Hunger Games, catching fire to become the biggest November opening. However, the movie opened lower than the first Black Panther in Doctor Strange 2. There's no serious competition for Panther to face in the next four weekends until Avatar 2 comes out. 
Do you think the movie will reach a billion worldwide before Avatar arrives? All right, Steve, thanks a lot for saying that in. You know, it, it came in a little under what I was predicting. I predicted, I think Ray was my number, 197. Yeah, I said too. I think I called 197, and it came in at 180. So I missed by about eight to $17 million. It's close, whatever. It did not crack the top 10 biggest opening films of all time. Uh, but it's still the number one November release of all time. Think about that. Wrap your heads around that. For as long as the movie industry has been around, no film in the month of November has ever opened bigger than Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And number 13 all time. Think about the 30,000 movies that have come out in the history of Hollywood. 30, 40,000, whatever movies that have come out in the history of Hollywood. Black Panther Wakanda Forever has come out as the 13th biggest in history. Now, you're right. I, I was surprised to hear that it did open to lower than Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness. We talked last week about the fact that it was potentially it was falling behind in pre-advanced sales than Doctor Strange was, did come in a little below that. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who wrote the following. As it stands, Wakanda Forever has the second biggest domestic debut of the year behind the only the $187.4 million launch of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It also commands the third best pandemic era bow behind the aforementioned Doctor Strange adventure and Spider-Man No Way Home, which got started with $260 million. Tony Chambers, executive vice president and head of theatrical distribution at Disney, Marvel's parent company, ascribed the film's success to the Marvel track record as well as the quality of the filmmaking. That again comes to us from Variety. Now, uh, Ray or, or Taylor, if one of you guys can look up, what did the first Black Panther make at the box office? I think it was north of $200 million. I think the first Black Panther made north of $200 million. So should it be considered a disappointment that the first Black Panther made significantly more money at the box office in its opening weekend than the second Black Panther did? Maybe a little bit. Do we got that opening? It's 202, right? Mm -hmm. 202. So like $22 million more, right? And you kind of hope to see with your franchises that the, the chart, the trajectory goes this way, not that way. I don't find that tremendously surprising because as I've said for the last year or so, they faced a very, very difficult challenge in that they were a sequel to a super popular movie without their lead actor and without their main character. And that was going to hurt. To be honest, I think that makes the $180 million opening astonishingly impressive. Astonishingly impressive. Considering, again, imagine watching Iron Man, a new Iron Man movie tomorrow, but it doesn't have Tony Stark and it doesn't have Robert Downey Jr. How much money does that movie make? It makes money. It doesn't make Tony Stark money, right? It doesn't make that money. So I think the fact that it was without T'Challa and without... Chadwick Boseman, yet still made $180 million, is still pretty damn impressive. Breaking the November box office record, pretty damn impressive. Second big, we're almost at the end of the year now. Second biggest opening of the year, pretty damn impressive. Third biggest opening of the pandemic era, pretty damn impressive. Now, of course, that's going to fall a spot once Avatar opens. I think Avatar is probably going to come in north of $180 million, but I don't know that's going to come out tremendously north of $180 million. So we'll see that too. So at the end of the day, would they have liked to have seen this been a little bit higher? Probably. It's at the lower end of the projections, which was 175 to 200 million. Granted, I still think you look at this and take it as a win, especially when you're looking at its contemporary film, Black Adam, with the biggest movie star in the world. That opened at 
$67 million. And this came out without its star, without its main character, and it made nearly triple that. I don't think there's any other way to cut it other than to say that this is a big win for this movie. Uh, even though it could have been bigger, sure, still an unmitigated success. Absolute huge success. Chris, you see these numbers. I mean, some people were thinking like me, it could have been closer to 200 million. Maybe it could have flirted with that first I really Black thought Panther it was going to get that. But, you know, it didn't. But it made the 13th biggest opening in the history of cinema. Mm -hmm. How do you think we should look at this result? Definitely as a win, because I do think this is going to have legs, not only because there's not a lot of competition, but this is a movie that people are going to go back and see multiple times. It's going to have a really, really great kind of word of mouth uh, thing to it, too, for people who are maybe waiting to see, hey, how do they handle everything? I'm not sure I'm going to go see the movie. I think people are going to go get in there now. I think the reviews are fairly good for this, right? It's still at about an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes? 86, 85, like that. somewhere in the mid-80s. You know, I think it's going to do really, really well. I do still think that Avatar is going to make more money than this. Um, I think that's the one that's going to really take the box office. But I think this is great for them. I think this is a really, really great win, especially considering everything they had to go through to make this film. You know, I was, Rob, I was doing uh, my open spoiler discussion for this. And I said, you know, whether, wherever you fall on the spectrum, whether you hated this movie, whether you were okay with the movie, whether you loved the movie, I think everybody has to acknowledge that given the circumstances what Ryan Coogler had to do was Herculean, like was absolutely Herculean uh, to pull this movie off, regardless of what you thought about the end result. This, the fact that Ryan Coogler was able to pull this movie together and put out what he does, and without your star, without your main character, you still make $180 million the opening weekend box office. I think this, while this is probably my least favorite Ryan Coogler movie, to me, it just elevates Ryan Coogler even more in my estimation. Anyway, when you look at the result of the opening weekend for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, what stands out to you? Well, I, I, I'm happy it made as much as it did. One, it's really long, so there's less, yeah, there's yeah, less really showings in theaters. But two, you know, if you think about Black Panther, you were coming off of the great introduction of Chadwick Boseman in Civil War. And at the, at the center of Black Panther, you also had Killmonger. So you had Michael B. Jordan going up against Chad Bozeman, and from a just a kick-ass movie perspective, you had this really great villain, you know, going up against a, a, a character that was uh, almost immediately beloved in Civil War, Black Panther. So there were more fireworks. Now, Namor is, I thought, highlighted this movie, really liked, mm -hmm. but but his beef with Wakanda was more more ethical and moral and and colonial he he had his, his the conflict of this movie is very very different and th this movie doesn't promise i mean what's amazing to me about this film is it's about the i hate to say this for my fans out there or fans of superhero movies but this movie is about the power of the feminine it's about the power of the of of mothers and daughters and how they can bond through things like grief and how they get together like I recognize my mother and grandmother in this movie and I, and, and aunts and, and that I've known. And I was like, I was totally surprised by this. And when I was sitting in the theater, sitting behind, you know, I told you, I said that there was like 10 black women sitting behind me and their emotional response was extreme. I mean, they were crying and, and I heard uh, um, uh, a friend of mine, Lael Rockwell went and saw he, he a woman came with her two sons was sitting next to him and at the end of the movie was put her hand, didn't even know him, put her hand on his hand 
and said to him, I lost my son through can- from cancer about six months ago. Mm. And in sitting here and watching, this is what she told, total stranger. She said, by watching this movie, I feel, I feel somewhat healed. Who would have thought that would have happened in a superhero movie? So this movie, and I think a lot of pushback in the fan community is because it's doing something totally different. And when I saw this a second time, I'm like, you know what? The fact that this movie has been made and that Ryan Coogler was able to turn this story into an MCU movie, I, I felt it more moving the second time I watched it because I looked at it from a totally different perspective. And I'm going to be very curious to see how this movie works in weekends two and three, because I think this movie is going to be recognized for something that it is and not something that it isn't. And I think we're going to get more repeat viewings. I wouldn't be surprised if more women and mothers go see this movie than your standard male audience. I, I think when we move into the other part of the question that the viewer wrote in and asked is, do, do I see this movie getting to a billion dollars? I don't. I don't either. I, I don't think this movie will get to a billion dollars. And, and there's, there's a couple of factors in that. Number one, um, it's not going to get a couple of markets that it had before. It's yes. not going to get the Russian market. It's, it's not going to get the Chinese, Chinese market. market. So there's that. Uh, secondly, again, it's, it's the same thing that it felt with its opening weekend. It does not have its star. It does not have its lead character. And while this will be a subjective thing, it's simply not as good as the first Black Panther movie. Uh, it did a lot of really incredible special things in it, but I think it's just not as good. I don't think it has the rewatchability that the first one did. I, and so while it's going to be like the opening weekend, I think it's going to have incredible success, but I don't see it getting to a billion dollars. I agree with you, but I do think that this movie is going to tap into something that Captain Marvel tapped into, which was the female audience. And, you know, traditionally... There, these movies do skew more male than female, and, but I do think that this film has something in it for women audiences in particular that I didn't expect, but I've seen it twice now. And I've seen the, 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 the emotional impact that this movie has on the female audience that I didn't expect. And I have to say, I respect the hell out of Ryan Coogler for leaning into that. By the way, I'm very angry with one particular character that, I love. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we will not go with not, that. I'm not angry with her. Yeah, I'm no, just... no, no. Don't even say another word. Don't <laughs> no, even explain, say Explain <laughs> further. <laughs> just no more. No more. Actually, you know, Alu, before coming back and getting back into town, you had a chance to see Black Panther yeah. Wakanda Forever. So I, I mean, just, ju- just quickly, what was your impression of the movie? And, and what do you think? Were you surprised by the $180 million? Do you think it can cross a billion dollars? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, a billion is hard. Did the first one make... Yeah, the first yeah. one what, made 1.2 yeah. billion. I think, oh, okay. Yeah. Man, that's a, that's a hard number. And I just think this movie has just so much going against it. Like, it, I loved it, obviously. But, like, there were so many people already off the bat. Like, oh, Chadwick's not in it. I'm not going to see yeah. it. The women are at the helm. I'm not going to see it. And it's just like, I didn't even see, feel like it was like a woman movie, which is what people were kind of peddling. They were like, oh, it's going to be like girl power. And it's going to be like Captain Marvel. There was where, none of that in the movie. I, at not all. like not once in this movie did any character ever say any kind of line with nope. as women we yeah. will say there's not exactly. one line of that in the entire movie. Yeah, there's and not. I just wanted to say really quickly about the visuals, like the underwater talican scenes and all that. I was like, yes, Black Panther, way of water, let's go. Like <laughs> I was like all about that. The Disney uh, uh, 
a, a special effects team, amazing. And I loved like the camaraderie. It wasn't girl power, it was girl camaraderie. Like yes. seeing Shuri and Riri, oh yes, queens. Like, I don't know, I was, I was living. No, the one thing <laughs> that it does have going in its favor, the one thing it does have going in its favor for a potential billion dollar run is the fact that they mentioned in the email, it ain't got no competition. Yeah. Like for mm -hmm. the next four weeks, it has nothing but a clear runway in front of it. So if it's going to do it, this is its opportunity. Because Black Panther, I mean, Black Adam, which is the most significant thing in theaters otherwise, it made like $8 million this weekend, right? So it literally has no competition. So if it's going to do it, that's its key. If it's going to get to that billion Yeah, dollars. I just think that, you know, again, seeing it for that a second time, man, I think this is tapping into something that that I wasn't expecting. And I've seen audiences now react to this twice, specifically the female audience. And it has power. Am I wrong? I mean. I didn't feel that way. I I didn't feel like I was being slapped in the face with with like a feminist. Well, like, no, I, not only, I don't mean feminist. Oh, I mean, it's tapping oh, the into audience. the idea of what does it mean to be a mother? And what does it mean to yeah. be a sister? And like you said, yeah. getting Riri, I don't think it's like some yeah. overt feminist tract. Yeah, but yeah. I'll tell you something. I think that. Anyone who is a mother who's lost a son, yeah, yeah. who's felt that grief, yeah, yeah. there's real genuine emotional power 100%. in this. I wish I could take my mom to see this movie. Yeah, I was but talking with my, my friend who I went with about how Ryan Coogler did something different with this movie and it sucks because he was forced to do this. But um, at the same time, we were talking about how, you know, you're used to, you're, you see the superhero movies and, you know, think about the first Captain America movie. There's action and awesome stuff. There's a love story, da, 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 da. But now we're getting like these superhero movies that are, there's more depth. Like even just looking at Miss Marvel and then the Pakistani community and like all those kind yeah. of things. You're getting that with Black Panther now of like loss and culture. And there was like a whole thing um, with, religion i won't go too much into it in black panther but just their religion and mm -hmm. spirit world and all this kind of different stuff and we're getting more nuanced stories in superhero films now which is really cool i think I, so too i i do think avatar 2 is going to do better mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. avatar 2 may i don't know if it'll cross 200 million opening weekend but i think it'll do better i think it will cross the, the billion dollar mark uh worldwide but I mean, this is the Black Panther's chance to do it. Anyway, guys, question is for you. How do you see this opening weekend number, this record-setting number of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, $180 million, 13th biggest opening in cinematic history, biggest opening ever in the month of November, second biggest opening of the year. How do you guys take it? Maybe some people see it as a disappointment. Maybe some people see it for the win that it is. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we're going to open up the Super Chats here, so we're only going to have a chance to take just a few of them. So if you've got a thought, theory, opinion, or question you'd like us to address, go ahead and fire that into the Super Chats now. But before we get to those, we're going to take a second and thank the main sponsor of our show here, my mobile service provider, Ryan Reynolds and his company, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. This holiday season, the best deal in wireless can only be found at Mint Mobile. Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months free. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order and activate from home with eSIM while saving tons on phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Guys, you know I've been using Mint Mobile long before this holiday deal, and I have to say it is the perfect time to switch. Since I 
I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been spending one third of what I used to spend on my mobile service with the other big name company. And with this buy three months, get three months free, not only is it a great choice for you, but it makes great gifts for the people you love. Mint Mobile's best offer of the year is here. By going online only and with eSIM and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes those significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily and effortlessly with eSIM. Or if you need a new device, for a limited time, get six months of free service when you buy a selected device and plan. So guys, for a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for literally making me pay less than a third of what I used to be paying for my mobile service and for being a sponsor of the John Campia Show. All right, guys, we've only got a few minutes left here in the show, so we're going to get through our Super Chats as quick as we can here. So, Alou, what do we got in our Super Chats? All right, first we got some support from Mista47. Thank you, Mista. Yes, and then we got Jay saying, worst movie to TV series shows you can think of. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Animal but, House. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know it was a Delta House TV series. Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Oh, I didn't know that was a show. (laughs) They made a little title, but I don't know what it's about. (laughs) Only one. All right, what's next? All right, uh, we got Ben Rayner. Hot take Top Gun 2 will be the biggest movie of the year, then Avatar 2 and Wakanda forever. That's my predictions. Avatar 2 will make money. I can't see it beating Maverick, in my opinion. I, I don't. I don't know in what world you live in that you don't think James Cameron can possibly beat 1.5. Now, listen, I'm I'm not sitting here giving any guarantee that Avatar will. I, I'm not saying that. But if you don't think Avatar 2 has the potential to be bigger than that, I think you're crazy. I think you are, John. Because this, the first one made double that. The first one made <laughs> double that. Wrap your head. As huge and as successful as Top Gun Maverick is, the first Avatar doubled it. Not Not a little bit. Doubled it. So you have to acknowledge that the potential is there because nobody thought that first Avatar was going to do anything yeah, either. The potential's there, but it has to be great. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, James Cameron. And I mean, listen, it wasn't until we saw Top Gun Maverick that we went, oh, yeah, this right. is something special. This is something great. So the same thing will happen with Avatar. Like maybe the movie sucks. And if it sucks, although I've never seen a James Cameron movie that sucked, but if we see it and it sucks, and yeah, clearly. But if the second Avatar is great, I'm telling you what, 1.5 billion. <laughs> isn't the hardest thing in the world for it to do, especially when the one before it made double that. So yeah. we'll see. It's we'll betting see. time. Uh, do you want to put a bet on that? <laughs> Let's make a real bet right here. I don't think it beats Maverick. Maverick's like my favorite movie of the year. So. Well, it's, I mean, it's great. Maverick's great, but I... Rob, you want to do it for the hot toy? Would you... You know what? Here's the problem, though. We, we can't until we see the movie. We... No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 because no, no. That's like that's like making a bet. <clears throat> Who wins the basketball game tomorrow? And, you, and I ask you, <laughs> what are the teams playing? You go, right, no, I'm not going to tell you which teams are playing, though. Right. I mean, you got to at least see the, the uh, movie. But I mean, if, I think it's fair because I'm always saying never bet against James Cameron. Yeah, yeah. so you should bet. And so, but, so... but no, like, no, until you see the movie, you can't say because it's uh, you've seen Maverick. But right. and Rob you've already take, seen the financial the numbers. Rob will take the bet, right, Rob? I will take that yeah. bet. Yes. Are we talking about? I'll Ma- take Maverick that bet because I believe. Well, okay. Here. You know what? We got to stop right okay. now because we, we, we're right. almost out of time. We still got a few questions to get through, so like, we'll we'll pick this up tomorrow. What's next? We're talking about Maverick with Mel Gibson, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andy says it sucks that the rate for Disney Plus is increasing, even though I saw it coming, and at least they kept the no ads Disney bundle the same at twenty dollars a month. 
The the what? The bundle with that. Oh, the bundle. The bundle. Yeah. The bundle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's again, I just think it's dirty to say we're gonna introduce a lower tier, a lower cost plan with ad supportive and then actually just make it the same price as it's always been, only increase the other one. I just think yeah. that's dirty pool. All right, what's next? Andy again says, between the Batman and the Sandman, 2022 has been DC Comics year for emos. Who's the bigger emo of the two? Sandman. Sandman. <laughs> Sandman. I mean, the guy's mopey. He's the most mopey dude Sandman, ever. Sandman, sad man. Yeah. Sad man. All right, what's next? Optimus Amazon Prime says, <laughs> Soul was the first Disney movie that made me say, I can't watch this again. The message of the movie hit me so hard. I wish I saw it in theaters. Aww. Me too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it was a beautiful movie. I mean, I prefer Turning Red, but it was an absolutely beautiful movie. And you're right. It, it, it hit you in the feels. And that's one of the magic things about Pixar. All right, what's next? Sam Fisher says, I know you don't care about Doctor Who, but it's partnerships with Disney Plus is three times its per episode budget from three million pounds to 10 million pounds in anticipated spinoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting bit of info that came out that Disney was actually going to, hey, look, we're going to put you on our network. We're going to kick it up a little bit. They put in the money. I mean, we're not talking Game of Thrones money or Lord of the Rings money or anything like that. But considering they went from what they were spending to this, that's pretty good. All right. What's next? Ty Burton says, wanted to throw in my Disney Plus top five. Muppet Haunted Mansion, WandaVision, Light and Magic, The Imagineering Story, and The Beatles Get Back. Honorable yeah. mentions to Werewolf and Luca. Oh, we I feel forgot like about the Was Beatles that Chris that sent that? <laughs> Which one? Oh, yeah, Did I send that in? I feel like yeah, when he said Beatles? Muppet Haunted Mansion, I'm like, mm, that's up for out. You know what? I'll <laughs> I do right love now. that. I did not watch and the my Beatles friend directed. It's incredible. I'm not a Beatles fan. I know Scott Mance wants to throttle me by the way. <laughs> he hears me say that. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate the Beatles. I do not hate the Beatles. I'm just more of a Rolling Stones guy. That's all. <laughs> all right. What's next? CJ Rebirth says, sorry for the confusion. Friday, Rob, Chris, catchphrase mashup was reference to pitch meeting. Like, it'll be hard to bring the filthy in Madam Web if it don't exist. Actually, super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Okay. Yeah, that's the big catchphrase from uh, pitch meeting. Right. Oh. Well, it's going to be really hard for them to do that. Actually, won't be at all. Barely an inconvenience. Yeah. I mean, oh, that, okay. They got like, several catchphrases in that. And you think they get tired after 20 times, no. but he's done it about 500 times They're now, great. and it, it still completely works. All right, what's next? <clears throat> Matt Sanders says, hey, guys, I think I liked Black Panther more than you, John, but I might be wearing those rose-tinted glasses because I still have the taste of Black Adam in my mouth. Oh, it could be that. Listen, That's what I, she said. Somebody said to me, and I, I got this. I understood what they were saying. Somebody said to me, I think Black Panther Wakanda Forever was the better movie, but Black Adam was a more entertaining movie. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm there with you on that, but I could see why you'd say that. There's definitely a lot more fun in Black Adam. Yes. There's definitely a lot more fun in Black Adam. But, <laughs> a lot of I mean, fun in the script, too, in the dialogue. In, yeah, but in Black, in Black Panther, though, I mean, almost every story element is superior in every way to Black Adam. I mean, it's, and, it depends what you go in there looking for. I have to say, I, w I found Black Wakanda Forever moving. By the end of that movie, you're totally moved, I think. I wasn't. Really? <gasps> yeah. Gasp. No, I, I, because I didn't buy into Shuri's journey. I still don't think she should have ended up being Black Panther. I still think they should have recast it to Chal. I think it would have been more moving if they did that. But, you know, listen, I still like the movie. Um, it's probably my second or third favorite MCU film of phase, phase three. I think it was probably a better movie than Black Adam. And I had a lot of fun with Black Adam. But I wasn't as moved by it as some people were, which tear? I was. A no, no tears. tears. No tears? Oh, no, no. Oh. I take that back. I take that back. <laughs> the part where I felt my bottom lips start to quiver a little bit was the very opening and this is a this isn't part of the movie so it's not really a spoiler but 
the opening Marvel montage yeah. with just, I mean, we all knew it was going to be just Chadwick. Yeah. We knew it was going to be the Marvel montage mm -hmm. logo with, we knew it was going to be all Chadwick, but that they did it to dead silence. Yes. Yep. I got emotional. The movie didn't oh, even boy. start and I was My bald. bottom lip yep, started same. quivering. Okay, right. Dude. It, it was. Grab Logan. It was like. <laughs> that was the thing. I felt this wall of tears behind me. I've never experienced that in my, in my life. I'm like, oh my God. I was like, wanted to help. I'm like, can I, can I get you a Kleenex, ma'am? If you go on I a mean, date with someone right, Black next? Panther. Let's move on here. What's now. next? <laughs> all right. We got Chris Minor. Which family drama would you rather tolerate if you were a member in the Duttons in Yellowstone or the Roy's in Succession? Good luck. The Duttons. The yeah, Roy's, the, the, they're hilarious. Oh man, I'd rather be. I, I want to live in New York. Yeah, because the be Dutch, Oh, I'd rather live on that ranch. Mm -mm. Oh my god, miss me with that Green Acres bullshit. I, I hate New York. Mm -mm. I don't like New York. Oh, I'm a city mouse. Uh, <laughs> what if you were as rich as the Roy's? Well, yeah. maybe, maybe. All right, what's next? Less but you know what? The Roy's aren't as rich as the Duttons. But I don't know. Uh, but yeah. they actually, have... no, I take that back. You know what they are? They are they're richer than the Duns. All right, what's next? You got to worry about gun battles. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Zelda Master Seven Hundred Two says Skull, Kirk Thuggins, and the Eight to One Vikings, baby. So the it's time for people to start believing in the Minnesota Vikings. They beat the Bills yesterday. Did you see this? I didn't see the game. It is absolutely. The most insane, that's, craziest ending to a to a game in NFL history. That's what I heard. I have ever seen. I've never seen anything like it. You couldn't write a Hollywood script like it. It was the craziest thing. And listen, everybody's been thinking they're a fluke. They just knocked off the Bills. I, I, the, the the Vikings are for real. All right, what's next? <laughs> Stubble McShave says I rewatched the Ten Andor episodes. Something that I noticed were the limitations put on them shooting at the height of the pandemic, especially episodes four through six. I noticed nothing I, I i never noticed any like especially when you're comparing it against other star wars stuff on disney plus that all shot on the volume and all this kind of thing i i personally felt this show felt grander in scope and grander in scale than anything else they've done so and far four and so, six they were shooting on the dam so it was, yeah you know it was that heist it was really cool yeah so i i didn't personally notice it but maybe you saw some things that i didn't see in there thanks for sharing your perspective on it man all right what's next See, Chef Rigo. Chef Rigo. Saw WF last night, and during the trailers, they played Creed 3, Ant-Man 3, and Devotion all in a row. Yep. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Majors yep. is a busy man. I yeah. was saying this on the open sport. I said, this is Jonathan Majors' world right now, and we're just living <laughs> yep. in it. Uh, I mean, you could when he, not a lot of people knew him terribly much when he was in Lovecraft Country. Wow, that's right. He but when we saw Lovecraft Country, we were like, this guy <laughs> is for real. And the world is showing it now. And if you think he's big right now, wait till those three movies come out. And I, I just can't imagine where his career is going to go. I know. I just think he's, he looks so good. He might be the best Rocky villain ever. Yeah. It looks great. I can't wait. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if he'll be better than Drago or better than I don't Trevor, know, but he man. looks I really like the bad. personal connection. We were friends as children. I went into the slammer and you got a great life. I, it, oh, I can't wait. All right. What's next? Nah. Stallone says it's bad. <laughs> yeah, Frank Stallone says Frank, it's bad. Yeah. That's all I need to know. <laughs> Jeez, Frank. Way to be supportive. Zishan says, Disney Plus needs high-profile shows other than MCU or Star Wars for the price. Where's their succession? Stranger Things? Handmaid's Tale? Been three years. They're on Hulu. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And listen, do not, don't, don't scoff at Hulu. Hulu with FX on there has like some world-class stuff on there. Absolutely phenomenal. Again, that's the difference, is that Disney has so much stuff that they can splinter off their streaming services, have a Disney+, Plus, have Hulu. They can do that. 
So you really got to look at them as one thing. And the funny thing is, if you combine Disney Plus and Hulu, it's still probably the same price as Netflix and still probably close to the same price yeah. as HBO. So they got the stuff. They just splinter it into different services. But even if you combine them, the price is relatively, it's on par kind of with those other services too. So it's there. All right, what's next? Bond Present says, I like the swashbuckling genre, even though it's kind of dead. So I would love more pirate movies, but I agree they really dropped the ball with Jack Sparrow. So I hope they move on from this franchise. You know, it's, it's not just the swashbuckling. It's the pure adventure films. Like the films like National Treasure or or Indiana Jones or stuff like that. We don't get a lot of those pure adventure films. Mm -hmm. like Uncharted. We did. One of the closest things Boo. to it was... I thought Solo was a great adventure film. Yeah. Like, that's one of the things I really liked about Solo. Is that hey, there's a live action One Piece coming. I mean, but that's, that's not even an adventure. There's, I think there's a difference between action films I know. and a pure adventure kind of film. We don't, you're right. We don't get a lot of those anymore. And Pirates of the Caribbean was one of those. All right, what's next? Matt Boyle says, hey, John, what was your thoughts on the Yellowstone premiere last night? Didn't see it. Great thoughts. Um, I was, I was, at, listen, I was up till 345 getting today's shows ready um, in the morning. So I, I, and, and so I had a choice where I could either watch Yellowstone or I could watch Tulsa King. And I knew we had to talk about Tulsa King today. So I, I took the time to do that. But yeah, 345, I was just like, I don't have, I don't have it in me to watch. So I'm going to have to watch Yellowstone tonight, but I cannot wait. All right. What's next? Jamie Sunday says, I'm ready for Ryan Coogler to do his Inception and part ways with the MCU. I mean, it's he's, by the way, he's not parting ways with the MCU anytime soon. About a year and a half ago, they announced he signed like a long-term development deal with them. But that doesn't mean you won't see him do some stuff outside of that, like his next Fruitvale station or whatever. So we'll see him do more, but he is going to be tied to the MCU for a long time. Not exclusively, but he will be tied to the MCU for a very, very long time. He's got some big plans there. All right, what's next? Carl Briss sends in some support, some $20 support. Oh, thank you, Carl. Thanks, That's incredibly Carl. generous of you, man. Yeah, Shelly Lee sends, sends some support as well. Thank you, Shelly. And guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to those of you who sent in those super chats, number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the channel, thank you guys so very much for your support. Don't forget, guys, a little bit later today at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time, the new live installment of Robert Meyer Burnett and Chris Carr, The Weekly Hero, is going to go live at 3 o'clock. Make sure you guys come back and join us for that. Also, guys, don't forget, while you're here, if you want to support our channel and help us out, click the subscribe button. Also, just click on that thumbs up button that you see there. And also, leave a comment down below. All that stuff helps push our videos and our content out to a wider audience. All right, guys. For everybody in the room, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, Chris Carr, been joining you guys in the live chat, Ray Ora, we got Taylor Gonzalez back there, and of course, Jonathan Voico and Alu Moana. My name's John Campia. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. And until tomorrow, bye-bye.